0: I still sound good back here? Yeah. Get no, all you the, sound like shit. Fix uh, it. Oh, cool. Get all the burps out. I'll get no. sick of your shit. No, you sound fine. Yeah. I'm, I try to put like three feet between me and the mic because I make them out.
1: If the, if the listeners only knew that um, so much of this little bit after we start recording but before the episode starts in earnest um, is just us burping.
2: <laughs> I mean... I, I traditionally yeah, do I, one I when I I don't think any four. of them would be... Sub- I think they would be disappointed, but not so much surprised. No, I can't. I can't I mean, imagine
0: they would be surprised. My other podcast is called Belchcast, so it's it's on brand. That's right. Yeah, but this is, at least on
2: paper, supposed to be the one where you're less drunk.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I usually now, we don't know, we don't know that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, with, with
1: one glaring example. <clears throat> Speaking of drunk... And you know what?
0: <clears throat> a learning example.
1: Speaking of drunk on episodes... Earlier, I uh, I was re-listening to uh, the BelchCast crossover episode on our end, um, which yeah. is our episode, I think eight and um, yes. yeah nine. And um, yeah. I read the description. I did not realize. I guess I didn't remember that I was like still drunk when I wrote the episode description. It is extremely obvious. <laughs> my my <laughs> yeah. syntax makes no sense. I <laughs> I think I call someone like a big boy, strong man. Which means nothing. That doesn't <laughs> oh, mean anything. Oh, was
0: that? Oh, yeah, because that, that was, was your when guy. We you were doing uh, the Great Antonio. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which honestly, I would describe him as a big boy, strong man. Yeah, yeah, He's that's what he A man child with incredible strength.
2: I mean, as far as like being drunk on podcasts goes, like I, I literally was kind of afraid to listen to the second half of our Belchcast episode because I'm like, how stupid do we sound by the end of this? It it's, didn't sound as bad as it was, I don't think.
0: No. I have to like, edit the new episode of ElchCast this Saturday, and I was hammered and do not remember ending the podcast or the hour and a half of streaming I did afterwards. Oh. <laughs> well, I
1: did think it was unusual that I, I saw... Because, like, the same thing we always talk about. You are one of the Twitch streams I don't get a notification for. I get a yeah. notification for about two-thirds of the streams I follow. You're one of the third, all right? Yeah. And I, I did see the tweet... Um, that you said you just finished BelchCast and you're hopping on to stream, and it had only like an hour had passed. I'm like, oh, that's fine. He'll still be on. I'll hop on there, have some fun. It was already over. I'm like, well, something happened here.
0: Uh, the beers that I were <laughs> drinking were 16.5%. Christ almighty, Jack. Um, excited, yeah. to, excited to hear this well, show. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm editing it Saturday, um, and I'm afraid. Well, um, with that nice little uh, preview... Oh, oh boy.
1: Uh, hello everyone and welcome back we're we're, we, we're we, back. We took the week off and that's what we've been doing with our time. The same <laughs> shit we usually do only we've been only we've been sick while we do it
2: yeah well so, some of have we all been sick this last week? I know I was that's part of the reason just, we didn't do it. Jack yeah. was still recovering from from the rona yeah I was sick two weeks uh, ago and Alex did you did you were you so, sick or just hungover on Wednesday.
1: So, I did wind up getting sick from you. Um, I fucking
0: it, knew you would. And it was... You like, guys, I told you, stop open-mouth kissing right now. It's too dangerous. So, we went to a... Look, it was a hockey
2: game. What else do you do? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: went to a hockey game. Very disappointing. We didn't wind up on the Jumbotron again. Um, but maybe next so time. So, we had to
2: chug beers anyway.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. I, I did wind up getting sick a few days later and uh, got over it in a couple days. It, it was... I you know, I don't want to say I'm glad you were also sick, but the fact that you I knew where I got it from and you didn't have COVID was great because then I didn't even have to fuck yeah. with the usual usual taster, process. And yeah. I, and I got sick over the weekend, so I just I just stayed in and bummed it up and watched football all weekend and it was it was I mean, roughly the same thing I would do on a winter weekend anyway, but um I mean, to tell you the truth, like
2: despite shit. the fact that I was coughing cuz it's not like I didn't get sick, sick. I just kind of had a cough. And then for maybe a day, I felt, you know, your body just kind of feels a little wonky when you catch something. Sometimes like your immune system, you can kind of feel it kicking in. So I really wasn't that terribly sick and it's kind of slow at work. So I didn't have a ton of work to do at home. So basically I just got three, three days where I could basically bum around and do damn near nothing. So, it really wound up being more of a vacation than a sick leave for me in many ways. Magnificent. But, um, yeah. By any means necessary. yeah gave me more time to work on my podcast subject for this week, which is why it's going to be such a disappointment when it sucks. <laughs>
1: um, so, in case uh, those of you out there forgot who we were, um, we're back with our, and back at full strength for the first time in a few weeks. Um. Uh, as always, I'm Alex coming to you live from St. Louis, um, with my two regular co-hosts, the first of which being coming to us from Illinois, my older brother, Cody,
2: Cody, how are you feeling? Hell of a lot better than I was this time last week. Um, feeling pretty good. Everything is, uh, like I said, work's been in a little bit of a lull, which is rare for this time of year. Um, so been slightly less running around like a chicken with my head cut off as far as that goes. So that's good. (laughs) Um, also Jack, uh, very happy that Jack is back with us because that means this week I didn't have to come up with a funny and or insulting reason why he, he wasn't there. So that takes a little bit of pressure off me too. Honestly, it's fun
0: for me listening to the ways that I've essentially off myself. (laughs) Uh, uh, but I've, I've come out of my hibernation. I've come out of my hibernation of, um, Sipukuing myself because of Carson Wentz. I'm I'm back now. I've I've regenerated. I'm a new Jack John. I forgot what football is even. I don't. What, what is that? You you mentioned that earlier. That that means nothing to me.
1: Um. Yeah. We'll we'll see how you feel uh, if uh, <laughs> September comes around and uh, the Colts roll out
0: Carson Wentz again. We'll see how you feel at that point. I'll, um, just send the fucking team back to Baltimore. Like put them in a Mayflower truck. I'm done. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> and watch them get kicked out of Baltimore by the Ravens, <laughs> who are the actual good team there. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, they'd probably send him to fucking St. Louis, which...
2: St. Louis, yeah. Are are we desperate enough to take a Carson Wentz-Helm Colts team right kick now? kick
0: down the Midwest. You get Jonathan Taylor. That's got at least, like, one good season of, like, goodwill to you know get what? Jonathan I, Taylor. I,
2: I would rather have the Battlehawks back any day of the week.
1: <laughs> I genuinely would like the Battlehawks back. Um, yeah,
2: I would love the Battle Hawks to come back. That was such but, a cool thing.
1: But more on that, uh, go check out our episode. Which episode did I talk about Will Hill on? I don't even remember. Um, it was like... I think that was episode 11, maybe? That sounds correct. Now, is this worth everybody's time for me to look it up? Because it's going to bother me. Um, I can <laughs> answer
2: that for you. No, it's not.
1: Well, too bad, because um, I'm doing it anyway. But no, you were correct, If if that <laughs> helps. So course that was right yeah we're, we're we're back at full strength uh first time in a few weeks last week we were off obviously we just all needed it um I was I, I actually really hadn't gotten too sick by that point but uh I just had a lot going on with work and I kind of needed the day off um two weeks ago Jack uh you know he, he was out um was well,
2: suplexed through a window by DeForest Buckner yeah. or or yes. you,
1: the other theory going around uh Carson Wentz sucked so bad that it gave Jack COVID so Um, yeah, one or the other, whatever interpretation, the cults nearly killed him, but he is back. Um, and we're, we're happy to be at full strength, uh, for all of you. We have another good episode lined up. Um, another episode where we're, we're doing a bunch of historical topics and by total coincidence, but those always seem to be strong episodes. So we're very, I'm, I know at least a, a couple of us are very, very excited about our topics. So, um, we'll get to that later on. Um, Wanted to pay a little bit of a tribute. Um, Whenever something... Whenever, you know, somebody dies or something ends that that contributed a little bit to how we got the way that we are, um, in a good way, we usually like to mention it. Um, There's been a lot of talk lately. Um, The wonderful PBS show Arthur um, has announced that after 25 years, it is uh, finally going off the air. Um, In fact, I think it's... I thought they were... It's
2: more like f- when they first uh when they first announced that I thought they were going to say after 25 years he finally moved on from the yeah. third grade <laughs> um I don't know cuz
1: it's like the Simpsons I haven't seen the last like I don't know like like 20 plus of those seasons so I don't know what yeah. happens other than other than it turned out that uh um uh, uh Mr. Ratburn is gay and and uh, got married that was the one uh thing I remember because um Surprisingly, That was the one time
2: Arthur made headlines.
1: Yeah, and surprisingly, some people objected to that for some reason, but
2: um, No gay rats on public television! Yeah,
1: Yeah, you just want to watch this uh, anthropomorphic rat man marry um, some other animal. I don't know what species his husband is. I I didn't watch the episode.
0: Um,
2: Yeah, that adds another weird little kind of interesting social wrinkle into that. (laughs) Like,
0: Look, I'll I'll take the gay animal. I won't won't have you shove it down my throat, though. I I don't need to see that. Part of the magic of Arthur... Well, I'm sure
2: there's somewhere on the internet you can see exactly
0: that. Oh,
1: God. I don't even want to do Arthur Rule 34. I think that's watch list type stuff.
2: You know? Yeah, I I think the the NSA keeps your name in a box in a warehouse somewhere if you do that.
1: But, I mean, really, Arthur always was... Part of the magic of it was its diversity, you know, They, I I was reading an article about it and um, one of the early instances of them realizing um, how in a show like that, how representation matters um, was, um, I mean, the very first episode was when Arthur needed a new pair of glasses. Um, And weirdly, it seems like such a common trope now. It was a lot less common on kids' shows to really tackle the fact of the matter that that a lot of kids are they have a lot of trouble seeing are visually impaired i mean arthur's essentially blind without his classes um and they started and they that said was, that was
2: that was a big one for me because yeah. i am also damn near legally blind without correction <laughs> and they didn't pick up on that till i was like nine or ten so yeah. i was like yeah this is exactly what it's like you can't fucking read the board
1: they said they started getting letters from, like, all kinds of kids, you know, saying how meaningful it was to them. And it got to the point they actually introduced the character who was completely blind eventually. Um, you know, they have characters who are, you know, they're open about the fact they're on the autism spectrum. Um, prominently featured a character with asthma, which is a topic that hadn't been covered that much. So even beyond, like, the usual sorts of, like, demographic diversity, they always, they always made pains to... You know, make sure characters go through things that real kids go through. Um, Francine's family, I remember, a, a running trope occasionally be the fact that they struggle financially sometimes, and they they have to yeah. have those conversations with their kids. It, you know, it, was, it was just also, really. Also, they're Jewish. Yeah, yep, yeah. and um, yeah, and I I think they they've strongly alluded to that in their world that the brain, um, that his family is a black family. Um weirdly enough, the original voice of the brain is Steven Crowder. Isn't that fucked up? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that fucked yeah, up? Yeah, he
2: went the other direction really. He didn't um, learn a whole lot. So
0: from...
2: Yeah. Smooth brain. Yeah. So I I actually I'm glad you brought this up because there was something I wanted to talk about here, and that is that Arthur clearly is kind of a product of the nineties because yep. they really did they tried as hard as they could. Yeah. And a, and a PBS include, show. Inc- no. Yeah. And, and they, they tried as hard as they could to talk about multicultural issues and diversity, things like that, um, to the extent where, like, early on they had the episode where they talked about all the different holiday <laughs> traditions that different religions mm-hmm. have. So clearly, different religions exist. We talked about, you know, the, the visual impairment, the autism spectrum, the gay rights, obviously. And yet still, they never address the fact that all of these animals are of a different species. Like, you've got a bunch of animals of different species walking around, including animals that some other species on the show keep as pets. Yeah. Because if you remember one of the early episodes where Arthur gets a puppy... You notice they didn't show the conversation the next morning when he sat down next to his classmate Fern who is clearly a dog. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't show that conversation. Yeah. Because it... you had to imagine, imagine she was like, fucking what? You did what? You own a what?
1: Yeah, it's like the it's like the Goofy and Pluto problem where right. like there there must be some kind of odd uh cast system. In in this universe, where yeah, where where some are socialized to be anthropomorphic, where others are not,
0: it was just inbred so far down the species line that he's just a completely different kind of dog. Now
1: we're on to you, Mark Brown. We know something's going on there. <laughs> um,
2: I, yeah, that's they never did tackle the uh, the racism <laughs> aspect of that. Like Arthur's friends were never like, having an (laughs) argument, and somebody's like, shut the fuck up, Aardvark, what do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Now,
1: the show's been on a long time. Surely there is a racism episode in there somewhere. I don't remember there being one uh, in the early
0: cartoons. I feel like cartoons always tried to subtly do that. The Fairly Odd Parents, one of my favorite episodes, they made everyone a gray blob, but then they still managed to be like, I'm a grayer, purer blob than you. And they were just like subtly just about how stupid racism is on a fucking kid's show, so I'm sure Arthur's done it.
2: That day, they discovered that (coughs) sneeches are sneeches, and no kind of sneech is the best on the beaches. Um,
1: yeah, my favorite. So, before I get to that, I will, I actually, until just a couple days ago, did not know the story of how Arthur the Aardvark came to be. Because, like, the, the first book is a classic, came out in the 70s. We had it. Arthur actually looks like an Aardvark in that one. Mark Brown was just like a, um, Oh, my God, I can't remember what they said he did for a living. Um, but it was something pretty normal. Um, and he w- lost his job. He was out of work and was just kind of scraping to get by. He had a wife and a kid. Um, and his kid asked him to uh, um, come up with a story for him. Um, and he, Mark was like, okay, what what kind of story do you want? And the kid goes, "One about a weird animal? And for some reason, the first one that he thought... To, I guess his mind thinks alphabetically, maybe. The first one jumped in his mind is like, <laughs> Weird animal. Aardvark. And so he came up with a story about an aardvark who is self-conscious about his long nose. Um, because, I mean, the design of Arthur we know and love looks nothing like an aardvark, but the original one very much did. Um, so he wrote the book in the 70s, and um, that was that. Eventually optioned into a PBS kids show. Um, and one that... So Cody and I, we grew up without cable. Um, We grew up basically out in the middle of the woods. Um, We had TV, but we did not have cable. We just got local channels. Um, And PBS was really the one, like, you know, pretty much every channel had Saturday morning cartoons. But, like, after school, PBS was really the go-to. So early on, we had a heavy dose of Arthur, the various Crap Brothers shows. That was really our shit. Um early on.
2: My personal favorite uh was and remains Wishbone.
1: Wishbone, fantastic. Yeah. There's so
0: many good PBS kids shows in the nineties. Um yeah. uh, you've got Magic School Bus as an all time classic. Mm-hmm. And oh, then absolutely. I, probably my personal favorite PBS show of all time that I watched a ton as a kid, um, was Dragon Tales. Yeah, we never got
1: super into Dragon Tales for whatever reason, but I remember it, you know. Yeah, I it think was it was I think it hell. was a
2: little bit Cause you guys are a couple years younger than me. So I think I'd kind of aged out of that by the time it came on.
1: Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, Arthur, I mean, you know, Arthur, we'd watch pretty much every day. Um, this was in like the OG run of Arthur. It was, you know, so we, we very much got to know those characters. My favorite Arthur bit of all time. Um, I don't even remember what else happens in the episode other than it's an episode about their little league team, which is coached by Francine's dad. um, and after a practice, um, I guess they're going into their first game. And Francine's dad is addressing the team and says, uh, now, kids, if we win, we go for ice cream. And if we lose, and Binky jumps in and goes, you can take us to the outskirts of town and leave us there? And Francine's dad says, <laughs> no, if we lose, we still go for ice cream. And Binky goes, I'm never going to get to see the outskirts of town. <laughs> I love that bit so much. I laugh every time uh, I see it. Two layers
2: to it. Yeah, I mean that's that's a misdirect on a couple levels there. There, There's a I think
1: there's a YouTube channel that's called I believe those clips you've been looking for that posts just an absurd amount of clips from a lot of different shows. They have a ton of Arthur ones, and I did find that. But another fun activity is just they made a playlist out of all the Arthur ones. Is to just put that on, put it on shuffle, and just see what comes up. (laughs) There's some great stuff.
2: Um, I, uh, my personal favorite, I think, is still um, during the Crossing Guard episode. Oh, this he, one's he so good! <laughs> the goons after him, and then Arthur has the nightmare of clearly a bunch of anthropomorphic baboons sneaking <laughs> in and like causing a ruckus. And he's like, "Are you the goons? No, we're baboons. The goons are even worse <laughs> 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 because part of the episode hinges around them trying to figure out what the goons might be and.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, and that's what, like, Arthur and the, like, the, the glimpses, like, whenever we were at a grandparent's house and we could catch a little bit of, like, Spongebob, those were really the shows that taught me about, like, abstract, absurd kind of humor. Because Arthur would just throw weird shit in like that all the time.
2: Yeah. um, There were clearly some not-safe-for-PBS drugs being consumed by mm-hmm. some of the people who wrote on that show.
1: In many ways, they followed in the uh, um, they followed in the Jim Henson PBS tradition, um, and that is one of the ways in which I think they did. So um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Happy trails to Arthur. a Big part of our childhood. Um, that what what else were we watching when we
2: were kids? Because we all had our cartoons. We went to. I mean, um, for me. One of my favorites, and we've talked about this on the podcast, I think, before the 90s Batman cartoon was yep. just yes, fantastic. I mean, I literally still can watch that now and be entertained. Like, yes, on HBO Max, it was yep. dope as shit. Yes, and one of um, Alex and my both favorites was Animaniacs. Oh, yeah. That one, cool. again. Oh, God, it was, it was, good, so, yeah. it was that so good. And
0: Freak yeah. is the way that fun out of Freakazoid that.
2: was solid, yeah. That one kind of gets forgotten.
0: So it was a show that I understood none of the references, but I knew no. they were hilarious, and I still loved it.
2: And this one is kind of rare, but if you can find it, it's worth a watch. It was done. It was another WB cartoon. It was done by a lot of the same people that did Animaniacs. And as tonight will show, it had a huge influence on the way we look at, at history through the lens of it being able to be funny. There's a cartoon called Hysteria that they did, yep. in I think like 2001. That was basically Animaniacs, but were reenacting different bits of history. Yep. And again, if you can if you can find that, somewhere, it's definitely worth a watch. Very great, funny. Great theme song, also. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's
1: that, and um, you know, SpongeBob a little later on. Cause like, you know, we we still didn't get cable until I was like 14. But what we would do is like when I was at a grandparent's house that that was on, I'd watch, but also they started coming out with a little DVD sets, So I got all those, um, on Saturday mornings, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! I mean, for, oh, for, some, for someone right my yeah. age, I mean, that's what you're, <laughs> and, yeah, that's you were a fucking watching. loser.
0: If you weren't at school on Monday talking about those episodes. Oh yeah. Um,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. um,
2: yeah, what else was on in, Saturday in, mornings? Besides in the, the same
0: line, I remember, like, I was probably a little bit older, but, like, Dragon Ball Z was fucking huge for me as a yeah. kid as well. And, like, the, like that early run of Toonami. And I had an older sibling, so, like, I would also watch, like, a bunch of, like, adult cartoons. Like, I watched Family Guy way younger than I should have. <laughs> Aqua Teen Hunger Force, home movies. Like, that, like, uh, the OG yeah, adult swim lineup. Yeah. Especially home now, movies. Dra- like,
2: Dragon Ball Z was one I caught... I for a little bit we got a channel that got that on Saturday mornings but I didn't really pay too close of attention to it when I was a kid and then when I was an adult I was like I'm gonna watch this and see what it's all about now yeah one of my favorite shows yeah, yeah.
1: so yeah what a what a great era we are fortunate to grow up in um it seems like a lot of the the good cartoons now are a little more adult oriented and parks like I hate to be a crank, like the animation just doesn't look as good for the most part now. Um, yeah. Really, it's really... just the,
2: the way the way that they're doing it now and the style that they're doing it in now. I just don't like it as much. Yeah. There was something about hand drawn
0: stills. that just looked so fucking clean.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like you, you
1: can't do a show cartoon show now the way it's done that is going to be as funny looking as like ren and stimpy was you just can't no ren and stimpy is a hilarious
0: looking show it doesn't even matter what's going on you laugh just looking at it and it's also a huge waste of time compared to how you can just like produce other cartoons like it's not cost effective and also isn't going to get bought right exactly
2: a lot of the a lot of the og um Cartoon Network shows. I love that you. I mean, Alex mentioned Ren and Stimpy, but similar animation in like Courage the Cowardly Dogs. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Fantastic animation. And Ed, Ed, and Eddie also. Yeah. Uh huh. Great. it Just hysterical to look at.
0: Right. Johnny, Johnny,
1: Bravo. Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo. Seth, Mac- Seth MacFarlane I, got a start on that love show. Johnny Bravo.
0: A little bit later, but probably one of my favorite originals from Cartoon Network. Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy still holds up. It's just a fun, dark, absurd cartoon.
1: (laughs) Which was the show on Cartoon Network? I, I, I know which universe of shows it was. Was it Cow and Chicken that had the character who's the devil, but he just had the big fat ass? Yes, (laughs) Yes <laughs>
2: yes one of those just what a you could find somewhere you can't you yeah. can't find cow and chicken anywhere and that's a another
0: wonder. another show that got away with a way more adult humor than it deserved to. Um, there was an episode called The Buffalo Gals which was soon taken yes. off the of episode I, re- I like, remember that one which was majorly controversial at the time and there's no way in hell it could get made today without being like a like adult cartoon.
1: Well, yeah. So uh, there's three old men talking about what <laughs> cartoons were like in our days, and we uh,
2: we got we got a we got some listing things in. We yeah.
1: we we try to not be cranks, but this one I think we are <laughs> like demonstrably right. Is why we we feel yeah. okay doing this, and we just feel bad for the kids, you know. But yeah. anyway, is it me
0: who's under of touch? No, it's the kids who are wrong. Another great animated show. The fucking. So just
1: some of the the animation designs of characters just like moving and running in The Simpsons are funnier than anything that could be done
2: now. But, but looking I at Groundskeeper <laughs> Willie sends me into peals of laughter. Yeah. <laughs> to this day.
1: Anytime Groundskeeper Willie rips off his shirt, it's just it's a guaranteed laugh.
0: Grace me up, woman.
1: Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um. <clears throat> That's, yeah, if you wanted to know a little bit more about why we all are the way we are, then um, there you go. But, uh, you know, as much as I would love to sit here and talk about cartoons for two hours, and I genuinely would love to. Um, next time we're on BelchCast. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> You've done that before.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I've done comics. There's whole other worlds of animation that I can get to that I can nerd out about. But maybe next time. Um, that's not why we're here. The end of the day, we're here to talk about some guys. We haven't talked about some goddamn guys in a couple weeks. We need to do it. Um particular Jack, you have not talked about guys uh in three weeks. That's correct. And so we're gonna have you lead off, but um, hopefully you you are not rusty, hopefully you're not out of tune. Um, because we're we're gonna need you to, to do your thing here.
0: Yeah. I, I think I remember it's mm-hmm. The Guys it's like you never Close left. So no. oh. It's still shit. It's still I, shit. So I
2: really expected you to rip into like Danny Boy or something. <laughs> Camp Town races. <laughs> well, now they're My like
0: country. It. No, that's wrong.
1: <laughs> well, now that we're uh, now that we're we're back into the mood fully, um, Jack. Let's let's have you lead us off.
0: Who's your guy this week? My guy this week is going to be Felix. De la Caridad Caraval, uh, better known as Felix Caraval, uh, but for the rest of this episode, I'm just going to call him Felix, just in case I've butchered the rest of his name historically. But Felix is going to be a Cuban-born citizen, born in March 18th, 1875, and Felix grew up in poverty. Eventually, he became a mailman and was just kind of known just to kind of just be somebody who liked to run and just kind of showing off his running ability, although it was noted he was a horrible runner in, like, general, like... He didn't have any running attire. He didn't have any sort of mechanics that made him a good runner. He just liked to fucking run. (laughs) So he was Forrest Gump. (laughs) There's gonna be some parallels, and you're not very far off. Sorry, can I
1: interject really quickly, um... I'm going to do a live read of something. I need to send some critical support out to a friend of mine. Um, Friend of the podcast, Bill, just sent me a Snapchat um, saying, there's a viral TikTok going around of me. Help, I'm dancing. I'm going to have to move towns. I didn't think it would end up like this. So thoughts out to you, Billy Boy.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, no, Bill. Bill.
2: Bill.
1: (laughs) Sorry, buddy. (laughs) My poor poor nephew. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get up. If I hear any more updates about his situation, I'll
0: let us know. Yes.
2: Yes. Look how they've massacred my boy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so a lot of the information uh, I should I should backtrack to a lot of the information that I've got from uh, my research here uh, came from John Boy's did an amazing video on this. Also, a really great article on the Smithsonian and a couple like um, Olympic uh, articles about this. So, honestly, like a lot of really good research out this. I'm just going to touch just a little bit though about Felix in this story. So basically, uh, it was said, and it was really weird how they um, phrased this, but I kept seeing it over and over. Uh, he would love to perform exhibitions in running. Whatever what the, the fuck, fuck that means. Yeah, <laughs> be beyond me. Beyond me. Yeah. Um, the best I can think of it is some weird exhibitionist running, like, sex thing. Uh, but that's what he did <laughs> in his past, like, in his, like, in like his, like, free time. He was just like, I'm going to pass the time. I'm just going to do running. But like now,
2: that would that would make him a much more impressive athlete, I think, <laughs> if he were to be run fucking, right. especially publicly. <laughs> like on a professional, like on a professional
1: level. Like it, that's is is run fucking like um, that bit from uh, uh, Jackass where Dave England has a stationary bike that looks like it's giving him head.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that or Matt Max exercise bike from It's Always Sunny. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> classic. Two classic pieces of uh, television history there. yeah, so uh, really loved running, but he wasn't really good at it. Uh, He just kind of did it as a hobby. But he gets word of the 1904 Olympics, and that Olympics is going to have a marathon. And he wants to be a part of that. The only problem is that he, of course, uh, unfortunately lives in poverty in Cuba and has no money. And those Olympics are happening in St. Louis, of all beautiful places.
2: That's right. We love you, St. Louis. So I'm here right he, now. <laughs> he's he's with give Felix us, live on the scene. <laughs> give us season tickets to Blues games. We love you, St. Louis.
0: <laughs> so, so Felix, unfortunately, doesn't have the support of the Cuban government to sponsor him, to give him a bunch of money just to go to a different country and run. Because Felix isn't really a professional runner. He's just a dude who likes to run and is not really great at it. He's just kind of just like, hey, running is fun. Yeah, so while just, they're
2: while there are some governments who maybe would give you money just for that, a communist one, probably not <laughs> like communism is not necessarily the boogeyman. Everybody thinks it does, but that sounds like something that uh, the Castro regime would have thought was probably a waste of money.
0: So, so naturally Felix does what any natural born Cuban citizen would do at this time. And he decides he's going to campaign and raise his own money. And he does this by literally running from end to end of fucking Cuba, which is roughly 700 miles. And he's just like doing it as like a sideshow attraction. Look at me. I'm running across Cuba. Please give me money so I can not be in Cuba.
2: So I think that this whole thing was a ruse. I think what he was actually doing was he was getting a running start. And when he got to the (laughs) other end of Cuba, he was just going to jump as far as he could and see if he could make it to Miami.
0: He's doing the longest long jump of all long jumps here.
2: Wasn't there a Monty Python sketch where somebody tried to, like, jump the English Channel or something like that?
0: <laughs> that sounds right. I would believe you there. Yeah,
2: yes, there was.
0: Uh, yep. So so our boy Felix raises enough money and he ends up getting on a boat and ships off to New Orleans as soon as he can. Uh, he has enough money that's going to get him there and get him situated, be able to, like, Uh, prepare and train for everything that the olympics needs him to do so he has made it to america he's in new orleans unfortunately for felix when he gets to new orleans he decides that he's going to kind of hang out for a bit and he ends up finding gambling i thought you were going to say beignets yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that would probably put a kink in the the running style was the beignets and hurricanes
0: he must have been sucking down constantly He probably would have had a better time if he had a bunch of Hurricanes. He ends up playing craps and loses all of his fucking money. (laughs) Well, that's unfortunate. That's a tough start. (laughs) Right.
1: You don't want to start by losing your money in gambling.
0: Yeah, so he didn't, like, make it big and lose it all. He just loses it all. So what ends up happening is he's got no money, but he still needs to get to St. Louis to do the Olympics and like actually like, try to like make a name for himself. Maybe try to get some money back and like save face. Luckily for Felix, St. Louis is roughly 700 miles away. Uh-huh. And Felix has a, a history of running 700 miles for the fuck of it. Yeah. So Felix hitchhikes slash runs to St. Louis. <laughs> he ran right up the Mississippi yeah. River. Now, in this at this point, you probably have a picture in your head of what Felix may look like, and I'm here to tell you that you're dead goddamn wrong. Um, a Smithsonian article that I read uh, had this to say of Felix: at five feet tall, he presented a slight but striking figure. This little five-foot happy-go-lucky fucker is just just a running <laughs> all the way up the fucking Mississippi. <laughs>
2: He's like the Rudy of the track scene at this point.
1: <laughs> I, I think. Uh, I think this is who Giuseppe Zangara was—the evil twin of.
0: <laughs> Separated at birth, a good half and an evil half.
2: <laughs> yeah, they shipped the wrong one to Cuba.
0: So, so Felix makes it uh, through good nature and just fucking person like perseverance and heart. He makes it to St. Louis. Uh, he ends up befriending the U.S. weightlifting team. And they're like, look at this little wily fucker. Let's give him, like, a room to stay in so he isn't homeless while he's here. And, like, he ends up, like, because he's, like, so personable that everyone just loves this little fucker. If
1: you can meet a nice, like, huge jacked guy, that is just good advice. That's good advice for you in life. That's yeah. what we learned in college with our with our friend Adam. Like, we wanted- <laughs> needed to be friends with him... Because he was very, very nice and, and would cause us no problems. But you knew right. that if we ever needed somebody, he would he would be able to take whoever our, our enemy
0: was, was not going to be bigger than Adam. Right. No. So, so Felix is at the Olympics. Let's take a little bit to like look at the Olympics as a whole here. Like I said, it is in St. Louis. This is in 1904. It was actually supposed to be in Chicago this year but due to boo. the world's fair happening no wait no in shit i st. shouldn't louis,
1: boo like like at
0: least half our listenerships in chicago i'm sorry i shouldn't boo <laughs> you all yeah, yeah you so know. it was supposed to be in chicago and st louis is like hey we're running the world's fair and we're like a little bit behind we were supposed to do it in 1903 we're going to do it in 1904 and the midwest isn't big enough to hold two huge events so we're not going to move the world's fair so uh, fuck you we're taking the olympics too and so they essentially <laughs> like strong arm chicago out of the fucking olympics and they just attach it onto the World's Fair, which is now in 1904.
1: It is wild that, yeah, at that point, St. Louis was, like, one of the most important cities in the world, as was Chicago. Um, yeah. Too much to get into why that's only the case for one of us anymore, but... Um, <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, See, yeah, early 1900s was really... St. Yeah, Louis's well, big moment yeah, on the stage was that time. Right,
0: yeah.
2: So, I think, for me... There are, obviously, for all of us, a handful of events that we could, like, if we could go back in time, we would want to go back and witness. That 1904 World's Fair, mm-hmm. for me, definitely up there. So right. much wild shit was invented or first showcased there. You just, it seems like one of the coolest things you could possibly do to kill some time back then.
1: Around so, town, there, there are still some remnants. I think probably the most prominent one is... um at the St. Louis Zoo, just down the street from where I live, um, the uh, uh, aviary, the big bird cage, is a uh, um, yep. was a remnant from the actual uh, 1904 World's Fair. So, yeah. one of many
2: reasons that if you ever get the chance, you should visit the St. Louis Zoo. That's right, it's, just, it's fucking
0: awesome and it's oh, yeah. free. So, exactly, it's yep. the best thing to do if you've got nothing to do on a weekday. Fun, let's go to the zoo. Um, yep. All those are great things about St. Louis today and in context of history. However, however. The World's Fair of 1903 1904 was there to mostly celebrate the hundred-year anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase, which um, is basically also a showcase just for massive American imperialism uh, at the time, and some pretty kind of fucking racist shit happened. Um, reading in 1904, you're kidding yeah. in St. So Louis. The, so the Smithsonian the article, Midwest? the Smithsonian article that I. Uh, use a lot for this uh, I'm gonna just read directly from this because they said it better than I could um this World's Fair including the controversial anthropology days mm, in which a group of quote-unquote savages don't like that re- <laughs> recruited from the fair's international villages competed in a variety of athletic feats among them a greased pole climb ethnic dancing and mud yeah oh
1: nah. boys were there were there any uh were there any calipers? <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> i mean
1: that's probably a now, given like, right yeah
2: there are parts of that like the the quote-unquote ethnic dancing if you just want to get a bunch of like different cultures that use dance heavy culture right. to come demonstrate some of their stuff that's yeah. cool but first but... of all <laughs> nothing that you ever put on should have the word savages in it
0: no yes so most that of this was played a for laughs.
2: Slur when it's implied to a human
0: Most of this was played for laughs to white people. So not really a great look, especially if you're also hosting an international and global event at the same time. Um, So naturally, a lot of the countries just say, fuck this shit, we're not going. Uh, The Olympics is already being treated as a sideshow to this. And also, there's a lot of real um, bad, um, you know, imperialism shit happening. So only 14 countries decide to show up to the Olympics. Uh... And if you're wondering kind of how that measures, um, the year before that, 24 countries showed. And the year after this, 22 countries showed. So a good handful of major uh, countries just say, fuck this shit, we're not going.
2: So they lost like at least a third of the countries who would normally be in it.
0: Right. And so naturally, your field of competitors is already kind of really fucking thin. So let's. So now that we have kind of the, the context of who we are and Felix now in this situation, let's look at what the marathon was. The marathon, of course, in St. Louis, uh, it started at Francis Field, which was a part of Washington University. It's their big track, and then it would uh, lead through uh, some of the surrounding neighborhoods and town, or sorry, neighborhoods and streets through St. Louis, uh, totaling a total of twenty four point eight miles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unfortunately, because the field was kind of thin for this. Um, Not a lot of people showed up. A total of 41 runners were scheduled to be a part of this, and a lot of them didn't even show up. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was said that uh, this race featured some acclaimed runners, but mostly untrained civilians. Uh, Mostly, if those runners were trained, they were middle distance runners and assorted, quote-unquote, oddities. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) What do you mean, oddities? Oddities. What does that mean in the context of a marathon? Like a guy with five legs, what?
0: Uh, a five foot Cuban be? mailman probably qualifies as an oddity.
2: it be. Well, that's how you get on this podcast, by being an <laughs> oddity, so.
0: Yes. So um, just a little bit more marathon context and then we'll get into this great race. Uh, generally, the average marathon finish in the Olympics was about two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, in today's standards, if you're going to qualify for like a huge marathon, say like the Boston Marathon, you generally want to do your marathon in under three hours. And that's just as a general runner. Uh, this year, uh, the person who won in 1904, they finished this at a whopping three and a half hours. Um, <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. this, these Olympic athletes would not have even qualified for a modern race today. Um, the ideal running temperatures, if you're going to do a marathon, it's said that you should do it... At about 45 to 50 degrees, if it gets any hotter than 70, you should probably just cancel the whole race because it's way too fucking hot and people are going to get injured and dehydrated and hurt.
1: Yeah. It also, team, also, I mean, that's also it's St. Louis. They're probably full of beer and toasted ravioli and fucking <laughs> gooey butter cake.
2: Yeah, if it drives by the hill, they've been carbo-loading all day. It's just going to be an endless fountain... Of, of fettuccine out of this that is, person it, by mile it, five.
0: It's the scene from The Office where Michael's just pounding fettuccine right before the race. Yeah, uh, basically, yes. Yeah, so this being the Summer Olympics, naturally, it's fucking hot in St. Louis on August 30th when they run this race.
2: Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, August, August in, 30th in St. Louis. August
1: talks. in St. Louis is basically you're, you're living in hell. It's this, race
0: started, this, this race started at 3 p.m.
1: Oh, God. I don't even like to be alive at 3 p.m. on August 30th in St.
0: Louis. <laughs> yeah. So, the temperature was ranging between 90 degrees in the shade to about 100 degrees if you're just standing outside, in just in general heat. Not to mention, you've got some good old-fashioned humidity just laying you the fuck down.
2: Oh, yeah, that Midwestern humidity, especially in late summer... It's like yeah. you run five feet and your clothes weigh 10 more pounds than they did because yes. you are just soaked.
0: So so naturally, given the circumstances and all of the situations, you know, it being a huge fucking hot summer day, there'd be plenty of water, you would think. However, um, the marathon organizers decide we just need two water stations, one of them at six miles and one of them at 12 miles. And these are well St. Louis, Missouri water.
2: Oh boy. So they had all fe- kinds of Keats going on there. They had fewer water stations than Warp Tour. They had
0: fewer water stations than Astrofest or Astro World Fest.
2: Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh no. I don't think it was the lack of water that really made the difference <laughs> there.
0: <laughs> but so, like, so basically, because it's just St. Louis well water and you've got a couple people that are not from the fucking area. A lot of people have got intestinal issues just drinking this water during the marathon.
1: Yeah, I I will say, uh, St. Louis has excellent tap water, but just random wells, you're rolling the dice on that one, as far as gut problems go.
2: So what you're telling me is that they're drinking this water while en route to the marathon... Do you think anybody used this to their advantage to create a Batmobile-like oil slick behind them as the explosive diarrhea kicked in and tripping
0: up the people behind them? And here comes Nathan sliding through diarrhea and vomit. (laughs) He's picking up plenty of speed. Um, It was later found out why the fuck this happened. James Sullivan, the chief organizer of the games at that time, wanted to minimize fluid intake to test the limits and effects of purposeful dehydration, which was a common research theme at the time. Because it's fucking... This is the goddamn
2: Olympics! This is not a lab! It's fucking... You don't get to experiment on people!
1: It's fucking 1904. Everything involves eugenics somehow.
0: God! So, it's literally a fucking lab rat race.
2: Why was fucking Dr. Moreau in charge of everything (laughs) up until, like, everything was some horrific experience? It's like everything was a bad 1940s B-movie. Yes.
0: So, so all of that to be, you know, like, all these things that, like, they had control over. Let's talk about just St. Louis in general. St. Louis was not built to hold a marathon, especially the area they chose, a lot of the roads that people were running on, because they, they ran around the track four laps, and then they did essentially like a giant, massive like tour to neighborhood, and then they finished back at the track. <laughs> Most of the roads in that area were mostly dirt and rock. Well, and, and a
1: lot of roads throughout the city, just in general, they'll go uphill or downhill. There are not a lot of flat roads yes. and neighborhoods. Mine um, certainly is not.
0: This this race yeah. wound across roads inches deep in dust. There were seven hills varying from 100 to 300 feet high, some yeah. with brutally long ascents. In many places, cracked stone was strewn across the roadway creating perilous footing and the men of the era had to constantly dodge crosstown traffic, delivery wagons, railroad trains, trolley cars, and people walking their fucking dogs. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the Like the old school, old timey nickname for St. Louis is the Mound City. You know, that's not – that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that it's going to be conducive to a foot race, you know? Yes.
2: Also, and, if you're having a foot race in a city, clear a path maybe. Yeah. Block off a street if that's yeah. what you're going to run on. Or, or they maybe were just, just do running the running thing on the a goddamn streets. track like normal human beings. Yeah, yeah, they're just running. I mean, they're running headlong into Clydesdales and shit. Like.
1: <laughs> and it's St. Louis. All you have to do is tell a St. Louis cop, "Hey, here's a chance to go shoot somebody." <laughs> they'll welcome it. They'll clear that. They'll clear off fucking an entire neighborhood if you want.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And again, although those...
0: that's a, that's
2: another hazard of running through a St. Louis neighborhood yeah. if you're uh, not from America. <laughs> I feel like that, I actually, that alone is dangerous. I actually was going to yeah.
1: mention earlier for your guy how I, w- I was impressed with Felix not only making the trek from New Orleans up to St. Louis on foot slash hitchhiking, just because of you know the obvious reasons of how impressive that was, but consider he was going through Louisiana, Arkansas, and southeast Missouri.
2: <laughs> very, <laughs>
1: very impressed that he made it that far, being clearly yes. from somewhere else. Right. I
2: mean, I think he probably shaved some time off his marathon on that route. <laughs> he some ran faster those days than he ever has in his life.
0: So, so just a, uh, one more thing about the conditions, and then we'll talk more about Felix. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, there was a lot of context that we needed to get into why this is just such a shit show. Yeah. So, like I said, a lot of the roads were just like inches deep in dirt. There were cars. Um, kicking up really bad of the era just pollution and also like the tracking cars that like people would have if they did have a trainer were following and were like really close to the runners so those cars are just kicking dirt in the fucking runners faces and they're just logging their lungs with inches of fucking dirt many of the runners like got incapacitated one of them was like face down vomiting blood because his throat and esophagus lining, which is pure dirt. Like, Cody at Riot Fest times a million. Yeah.
1: And this is like, yeah, consider that around this time, in the middle of a a big Midwestern city, probably like at least 90% of the dirt is pig shit. So, you're not inhaling anything good.
2: Yeah, Yeah. pig shit, a little bit of horse shit, definitely some cow shit, Yeah. probably some people shit, (laughs) and uh, whatever washes up on the... uh, the banks of the river. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's probably the worst one of all.
0: So, all of this to set up our boy Felix. How does Felix do in this race? Well, so Felix again showing up essentially almost destitute with no money at the race. Um, at the starting line, attired in white long-sleeved shirt, long dark pants, a beret, and a pair of street shoes. Well, at least he our looks boy good. Felix takes the we starting the line. shoes right. Yes. Um, Those street shoes are mostly like work shoes. They're not really conducive to running, though. But it's probably better than being barefoot. But not by much. So one of the other Olympians there notices that Felix is in just fucking pants in 90 to 100 degree summer heat. And graciously cuts his pants to be like above the knee shorts. (laughs) And there's a couple pictures and it looks fantastic. Because you can see all these, like, Olympic runners in shorts and tank tops, and then just our boy Felix in the middle, sticking the fuck out. (laughs) So, it was said that Felix, like I said, he's, like, very chatty, he's, like, kind of, like, a friendly person, like, just a little short dude who wants to just have fun. Throughout the race, he would stop and just chat with people along the road, and, like, strike up (laughs) conversations with people who are watching the race, and it was, like, he was, like, saying, like, jokes and shit, and, like, his, like... Barely could speak English stuff until, like, he did a lot of, like, broken English jokes to people and was just chatting with everybody.
2: He was just doing a Chico Marx impression the whole time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, on one occasion, uh, he stopped a car. And uh, in that car, uh, those people had peaches. And Felix, uh, getting a little hungry in the middle of this race, is like, hey, can I have some of those peaches? And the people know, but, you know, they're still kind of, like, having a friendly, like, little banter... Felix then steals these peaches and then just starts running the race while eating somebody's stolen peaches. (laughs) Nice. And it's from around here, too. They're probably really good peaches. But he's so lovable that, like, the people just seem to just be like, oh, that fucking wily little guy just stole our peaches. (laughs) Who the fuck wouldn't give him the peaches? That's what I want to
2: know. Like, if this guy's such a fun little twerp, if he asked me for peaches, I'd be like, here you go.
0: Peaches. Peaches for everybody. A little bit later down in the race, uh, Felix gets hungry again. As you would, you're running a lot, you're not really drinking a lot, your, your stomach starts to get to grumbling. He then finds a couple apple trees, either in somebody's yard or just a little bit off the beaten path of this trail. And Felix stops his marathon, and then just goes and picks some apples and eats some apples. So, if he's out in 100 degree weather
2: running all day, and he is just blasting his stomach with apples and peaches. I got to imagine that's almost as bad as the microbial water.
0: Like, it's, that'll do not good things to your stomach. It's funny you say that. Turns out those apples were rotten. Ah. <laughs> oh, no. And they give Felix severe stomach cramps. Yeah. So you're in the middle of a race. You're, you're cramping hard. You feel like shit. What do you do? Felix answers that question for us. Felix takes a nap. Felix just takes a fucking nap in the middle of this race. Yeah, he's got the itis. you gotta take a nap. <laughs> Felix then wakes up from his nap and miraculously finishes fourth place in this fucking <laughs> Olympic marathon. Jesus Christ tortoise in the hair. How far ahead were you? it so the the guy who won did it in about three and a half hours. they stopped tracking people after third place and third place did it in just under four hours. A lot of people hypothesized if Felix gave a shit he would have won this marathon.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. If he wasn't asleep perhaps because Like, how long is a nap? Surely he was asleep for yeah. at least twenty minutes.
0: Right. Like you you gotta sleep off the stomach pains. That's that's not gonna go in a five minute nap, but even if you're taking like five minutes in a marathon is huge time. It does yeah. not seem to mention like... he's just chatting with people, fucking stealing peaches and just like generally not giving a shit, just having fun running. Well,
1: it does seem like in these conditions, the worst thing for you, ironically, would be to run it like a traditional marathon. Yeah. So his his just goofing off probably <laughs> did help him a bit because right. he, he was not, I'm sure, on the brink of death like most yeah. of the runners were.
0: So Felix doesn't really do too much after his life in the uh, 1904 Olympics. He ends up running like kind of semi professionally in that he just starts running more races that are like accounted for. Um, he was actually selected to represent Cuba in the 1906 Olympics uh, for the marathon in Athens, Greece, uh, with the expenses fully funded by the Cuban government. So the Cuban government sees his fourth place finish and says, You are our man, you are our Olympic runner. <laughs> Hell yeah. However, Felix of Felix.
2: Uh, yeah, and that that was going to be my, like, did they know <laughs> that
0: he was asleep for part of this race? So, it's it was said that after Felix landed in Italy, no one knew where the fuck Felix went. He never arrived officially to Athens to check in for all of this Olympic shit that he was sent to go to. He just disappeared off the face of the earth, so much so that the Cuban government declared him dead, printed his obituary in the papers... And was just like, sorry, man, Uh, Felix is fucking dead. But if you think that just a little bit of death is going to stop our boy Felix, you don't know Felix. Uh, He's only mostly dead. (laughs) Felix then just like randomly appeared back on a Spanish boat heading back uh, to Havana. And then he was just like, hey, I'm here. No one knows what the fuck happened to him. But Felix was just like, yeah. No, I was just hanging out. I wasn't doing much. Just probably I, uh, lost more money playing fucking craps and had to <laughs> hitchhike across the ocean somehow.
2: I ran into trouble. <laughs> just trying um, to charm his way out of it that way.
0: Yeah, Felix, like, a great, like, little, like, it's, like, a fun story, but honestly, a lot of other runners had a much worse time. Like I said, somebody, like, several people almost died. Uh, the person who ended up winning, who was a guy in an and of himself, uh, his trainers were feeding him rat poison and brandy and raw eggs to give his body <laughs> fuel. Rat
2: poison is not fuel. I just want to anything with poison
0: in the name. <laughs> but small is amounts in of rat- the opposite of fuel. Like, so what it, it was? Uh, it was basically a chemical that would like shock the muscles and it was supposed to kind of like
2: blood thinner is what it is that's what they use for rat poison is is blood thinners
0: yeah yeah it was essentially just like shocking his like cardiovascular system and like he was like hallucinating by the end of it like a lot of people got really fucked up but felix makes it out okay but uh the guy who uh originally won got in a car halfway through And then got out again and started running and was like, I thought it'd just be fun to see what it was like if people cheered like I won. Like, a lot of people kind of cheated. A lot of people were, like, doped up in it of, like, of-the-time-era substances. Which brings me to my big question. (laughs) If you were going to cheat in a marathon, uh, be it by uh, rat poison or stealing peaches or what have you, how would you cheat in a marathon? So, for me... I would
2: uh, take a note from the old Droopy cartoon, and as soon as the runners left, I would switch the uh, finish line or the starting line with a finish line sign and then just step across the... There's no way it would work. I've just always wanted to do that.
1: (laughs) I am going to uh, use a little device we call a dirt bike. And (laughs) And when I get to... It may not go over well at first. When I get to the end, I am going to do the sickest stunt that I can think of. One of two things will happen. One, I'll pull it off, everyone will be so impressed that they won't even give a shit that I cheated. Two, I'm going to be horribly injured and they'll feel so bad for me that I'm going to avoid getting in
0: trouble. They'll just let me win. It's win-win. Yeah. And honestly, so much dirt on these fucking roads, a dirt bike is probably the optimal vehicle for this fucking trek. It's
2: got Sounds dirt like game, right yeah. 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 So... Another thing you could do, I guess, is if you were near the pack, you could paint a bunch of uh, turtle shells red and start whipping them at (laughs) (laughs) people.
0: Yeah, I I was going to run this race, and then a dude started pelting turtle shells at me. I just said, fuck this, I don't need this, and I left. (laughs) (laughs) Great answers, the both of you. I love that.
1: The fascinating little man that Felix is. Um, Yep. Yeah, and a little bit of a little bit of local history for me too. I didn't know all of that. So,
0: yeah. yeah, no, that marathon was fucking insane. Again, uh, like shout, shout out to John Blaze and again uh, the Smithsonian for having an amazing write up on that. Uh, my two huge sources for this. Awesome.
1: All right, well, that's our first guy of the evening. Um, feels like we're back in the swing of it. We're already, we already, we already covered uh, one uh, insane event from American history. And uh, for the second insane event of American history that we're going to be discussing, we turn now to Cody. Cody, who is your guy
2: this week? I am talking about um, South Carolina House of Representatives member Preston Brooks. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys that is primarily famous for one thing, but really there is a lot more, as I was doing some research, that makes this guy a guy. A known, he is- known dick, Preston Brooks. He is the anti-Felix. Felix Felix was such a charming dude. Preston Brooks was an absolute bastard from the time he was born, basically. I mean, this guy was a little shit constantly throughout his life. But, of course, I mean, he had some challenges to overcome. So, let's get into his early life here. He was born uh, August 5th, 1819 in South Carolina. Look, they want to tell you that it can't be done. But you can overcome being from South Carolina. It is estimated that upwards of 6% of Americans are born with this horrendous disability, and many are able to live with medication and therapy, normal, fulfilling lives. You don't have to turn out like Preston Brooks. There is hope. I just want you to know this.
1: Sorry, Mason, we couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> we went with option B, but you you know what? I'm I, I check I checked the uh, the stats on Anchor earlier. We never had a listener from South Carolina, so they're they're free game as far as I'm concerned.
0: I'm so yeah. glad that as a child I only lived there; I wasn't born there.
2: That explains a lot, anyway.
0: I was born um, in Mississippi instead, so it's not it, like exactly. Yeah, oh I was
1: saying, in fairness, Jack. You you've lived in like every state at a certain point, so that's also true. I and, and you know I. I I don't think we're going to be able to quite hold fast to that rule, though, that if, you know, if if someone is from a place that has listened to the show, we can't, you know, criticize them because uh, we did get our first Dutch listener
2: recently. So, yeah, close that door. (laughs) (laughs) There's too much material there. Yeah. So I first of all, I feel like you're born under pressure just being named Preston Brooks. Uh huh. Because with that name, you either have to be a politician or like a pro football player, and they hadn't invented football yet. So, yeah. I mean, this guy really – I mean, you can't just be a regular dude walking around named Preston Brooks. Imagine that life.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're, either, yeah. you're either on the field at an SEC football game or you are <laughs> uh, drunk in the stands doing something that is going to harm you professionally. Yeah.
0: You, yeah. You're the bully or getting bullied, and there's no middle ground for you there.
2: Yeah. So um, he attended what has since become University of South Carolina, but was expelled shortly before graduation for threatening local cops with firearms. (laughs) Again, with modern medicine, most people from South Carolina can avoid this kind of fate. Hmm. But Preston Brooks didn't have that. Now, I imagine like. Did he immediately get an offer from, like, Texas Tech
0: after that happened or something like that? <laughs> the, if there's something I've learned from politicians in the South, it's if you fail in the, like, the Carolinas and the coastal, like, plains, like, you can just go to Texas and make a new career. <laughs> the Bob Potter plan. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So after college, he studied law, which I guess is a thing you could do after
0: being expelled from college for threatening cops with a gun back then. I mean... Um, he to say he did it and um, or, like say he completed college. I'm not sure the fact check yeah. uh like abilities back then. Yeah, no, I did four years. And that's what that happened or, at the, end of the fourth year. They might
2: have like they might have like made him study law by court order. It's been like
0: <laughs> what you did is super illegal. Clearly you need to learn the law better. So now you're going to law school. Yeah, no, I call my community service law school too.
2: <laughs> well, he he was admitted to the bar um he had a uh, private practice. He also owned a plantation and oh. served in the Mexican-American War. Um, he also picked up a penchant during this time for dueling. Again, complete asshole.
0: This as, guy, as you do, he's, he's ticking every box.
2: Yeah, he is really just, I mean, he's 0 for 4 here. He, he was a lawyer, a plantation owner in the military, And a frequent dueler. Back then, that's about as bad a guy as you could be. Yeah. Um, He was elected to the South Carolina State House in 1844 as a Democrat. Um, Now, at this point in history, Democrats were the openly racist supporters of slavery, whereas most Republicans weren't really comfortable with the idea of slavery, but they didn't, like, not enough to support it publicly. But they also didn't really care that much.
0: Yeah so, you're, 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 so too you're excited you're
2: telling
1: me you're telling me
2: <laughs> no it's the exact opposite of the way it used to be yeah, yeah. um the,
0: the Republicans were still for slaves but they weren't just openly like yeah slaves they were just like, eh, like I don't know like maybe we can work this out better like slaves? question mark <laughs> <Yeah>. bees <laughs> um
2: Preston Brooks though um absolutely no question about his position on this he was uber pro slavery yeah <laughs> um he was one of these guys that thought that if slavery went away the fabric of southern life would just crumble and because of the economic harm it would do they would just collapse into complete like back to neanderthal times which granted it would have put a big economic dent in things but also it's not cool to fucking own people so
1: (laughs) well that's that's that ultimately is where you have to go with it if owning (laughs) other human beings is required for your society to continue to exist then your society shouldn't fucking exist anymore you just you got to figure something else out go go someplace
2: else you just could i
0: do this work no no i need to i need to force other people to do it there's no other way
2: Obviously he was incredibly racist, but also this his plantation made him a shit ton of money, so yeah, he was trying to protect that at all costs. probably probably um, had
1: more to do with it than anything else, yeah
2: yeah, he became something of a fanatic um, now, in eighteen fifty six in the uh, South Carolina Senate, an abo- uh hardcore abolitionist named Charles Sumner made a fiery speech denouncing slavery and the recent events of bleeding Kansas, which we do not have time to get into Bleeding Kansas. <laughs> Maybe someday some we res- will, but... <laughs> yeah, do some research on it yourself. A just tremendously unfortunate chapter of American history for yeah. so many reasons. Really, really, yeah. But Sumner, one of the guys who got it worst in this speech, and we'll get into just how like hardcore this speech was in, in a minute, but probably the the... Biggest target that got it worse than anybody was Andrew Butler, who was Preston Brooks's cousin. Uh, Butler, also a, a senator who had <clears> been <throat> heavily involved in the legislative decisions that led up to Bleeding Kansas. Um, he compared his embrace of slavery to Don Quixote embracing a prostitute as though it were an act of chivalry like happens in the book. Oof. Now, at Oof. the time... <laughs> oh, that's fire. You, you have no idea. Fire emojis. Oh, it was way worse at the time because in this is another one of my favorite new recurring segments, Stupid Arguments in American History. <laughs> um, at the time, part of the like frequent arguments made back and forth between abolitionists and pro-slavery people, pro-slavery activists would accuse abolitionists of wanting to free slaves because they had a hard-on for slave women and wanted to be able to marry them, which at the time... Super insulting. Alternatively, abolitionists flipped it and reversed it by claiming that slave owners just wanted to keep black people enslaved so they could bang them whenever they wanted. And which there there is the there is some, some documented I mean,
1: history
0: yeah, behind <laughs> that, <laughs> that. So that did happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, As it yeah. turns out, um, yeah. Just
2: Google Google Sally Hemings and see what comes <laughs> up. Um, yeah. So. This is a very, very touchy thing to be saying on the Senate (laughs) floor. Um, He also took a few shots at Illinois Senator Stephen Douglas, which we are all quite familiar with through the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Right. Um, And Stephen Douglas's response to this whole thing, I I don't agree with Stephen Douglas on much, but his summation of this is exactly what I think watching any political debate anymore, basically, what he literally said is, this damn fool is going to get himself shot by some other damn fool.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fair I point. Feel like this is a very telling sentence.
2: This idiot is pissing off all the idiots on the other side. Now, while I obviously do not agree that Charles Sumner's anti-abolitionist, or er, uh, hardcore abolitionist stance was foolish, maybe the way he went about this yeah. was probably not, as far as self-preservation goes, the smartest <laughs> way to do it. Um, Brooks was, of course, incensed, as was his default state.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: He was, uh, he was pissed off. Of course, he would not take this lying down. He needed revenge. He thought about challenging him to a duel, which was kind of his normal thing.
1: I am surprised that's not where he went with it, frankly.
2: Well, we'll talk about why. After consulting with fellow South Carolina hardcore Democrat, uh, Representative Lawrence M. Kite, who, another complete shithead... Um, said dueling was for gentlemen, and because of Sumner's behavior, he doesn't really qualify as a gentleman. He doesn't deserve a duel. So instead, I think that's what he did was I th- what, wasn't okay. that the same line
1: of of reasoning used by um, Robert Potter's first political opponent as why he didn't accept yes. his duel? You're not a gentleman.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That was a that was it, a thing that that happened occasionally. back yeah. then. usually weird, like you're
0: too stupid to duel. Weird code yeah. they had.
2: What he did. What he did instead was in one of the most infamous moments in American legislative history to beat the shit out of Charles Sumner with a cane on the Senate floor. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: He, uh, he approached them while he was sitting. There's something so demoralizing about not just getting the shit beat out of you, but the cane makes it so much worse.
2: Oh, uh, this, this we will go into detail a little more about the beating and what a, just really cowardly act it was to begin with because like th- this guy, first of all, if you think a public beating is what somebody needs to get their shit together, fight fair. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Be a, don't be a bitch about it. Like, like fight, fight him like a, like a fight. Um, instead he, what he did was he waited till he was at his desk in the Senate chamber and he approached him while he wasn't paying attention, pulled out a heavy gold headed <laughs> cane that he carried and just hammered him over the head with it. Like Jesus. two or three times before Sumner even knew what was happening. Now, these desks uh, in the Senate are bolted to the floor. So after Sumner goes down, he's trapped under the desk. Like, he can't get away. So Brooks is just goes around the other side of the desk and keeps beating the shit out of whatever of him he can find with this cane. Sumner eventually, like by sheer blind panic, actually managed to rip the desk... Out of the floor. Jesus. And, but by that point he couldn't do much because like he had so much blood in his eyes. He couldn't see anything. He just staggered. Also, he sustained uh, sustained like five different head injuries at that point. Oh yeah. Easily. So yeah. yeah. It's a metal. Cane. So he just, he just staggers up the aisle. Well, it was wood handle and metal head, but yeah, he staggers up the aisle collapsed unconscious. Um, if you're wondering how uh, Brooks managed to pull this off in the middle of the Senate while it was in session and people were there, um, his buddy Kite and another one of their cohorts from the South Carolina House of Representatives came with him with pistols and covered him while uh, Brooks beat the shit out of Sumner. So anyone that tried to come up and stop it got a pistol waved in their face. Jesus yeah. Christ. And that's like
1: because this is like a decently well-known event, but that is something that most people definitely don't know
2: about this. Yeah. That there were guns <laughs> drawn, keeping people from intervening. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so Brooks kept hitting him until the cane broke, and then all three walked out of the chamber. Sumner, the rest of his life, uh, suffered chronic debilitating pain and PTSD. Um, He was not able to resume Senate activities for three more years while he recovered from this. God damn. Obviously this made big headlines. Everybody in the North was just absolutely appalled <clears throat> that this happened. The South, however, thought this was about the funniest goddamn thing they'd ever heard of. No. Yeah. Um, they showed a ton of support for Brooks. People sent him canes with hit him again engraved on them. That happened several times, which, by the way, if you can get your hands on one of those canes now, imagine what that would be worth. Yeah. Just such a cool piece of, of political history. I'm sure somebody would pay like upwards of a million for one of those. Yeah. Um, in retaliation, though, I will say this guy, you talk about a baller move, uh, American Party Congressman Aaron Burlingame not only got his got some retaliation, but did it in about the, mo- the best way possible. I mean, this is a brilliant plan.
1: Well, his name has Aaron Burr in it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's a man you're who's close. predisposed to hijinks.
2: Yeah. So, Aaron Burlingame said, you're a fucking coward, and I'm going to make you prove to everyone that you're a fucking coward. Here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk about what a big coward piece of shit you are in public a lot. <laughs> and because you've got such a reputation as a badass, hot tempered guy, I'm going like, to I'm going to get to the point where you can't ignore it anymore. Like, I'm going to make you do something about this.
0: Fuck yes.
2: The thing about Aaron Burlingame is he was a crack rifle shot like mm-hmm. nobody fucked with this guy. <clears throat> So he just kept goading Brooks until Brooks finally reluctantly had to challenge him to a duel. Burlingame immediately went, yep, rifles, Navy Yard. <laughs> that's that's not- <laughs> And then oh. Burlingame, of course, was forced to make, because the Navy Yard was actually located in uh, Niagara on the Canadian border. The reason they did that was to circumvent the American anti-dueling laws at the time. So Preston Brooks had to go with the lame duck excuse. Like I can't go to Canada. It might not be terribly safe, That you know, made this stupid excuse that everyone knew was just a stupid excuse. So Burlingame basically made him admit that he was afraid to duel him in public. So that's how he got his revenge. Um, as far as legal consequences, Brooks was found guilty of assault. Duh. And, um, (laughs) charged 300 dollars, but no jail time he was also not expelled from congress but i tell you in in what was maybe the only honorable thing he does does out of this entire thing well he was not expelled what he did was to resign and then he ran in the special election to fill his vacant seat Basically, as a way of giving the people of South Carolina a referendum on whether they still wanted him to be in that seat. He won. Well, once bad. again, <laughs> nowadays God damn it, those who suffer from being from South Carolina can live full, happy lives with medical intervention. But this is 1856, and the great people of South Carolina reelected Preston Brooks. Oh, oh, some poetic justice here. As Brooks did not actually get to serve this term because right before uh, the term was supposed to start, he caught a wicked bout of the croup and died. <laughs> now I you feel you like love, you love to see it, All right? We need to do an entire episode sometime seriously on old timey diseases. Yeah, the croup is really <laughs> really fun. Yeah, I gotta ask.
0: I've never heard of croup.
2: It's like a, it's a lung thing. It's it's basically like really bad bronchitis, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, again, I I'm not sure exactly what what it is or the mechanics of it because nobody's had it in a hundred years. <laughs> um, so, I guess that brings me to my big question: since Preston Brooks is all dead and shit by this point, point. Um, and you can apply this to any job you've ever had, not just the one you're at now. But, if you were to be publicly beaten by a coworker for something you did at work, if you pushed somebody so far that they publicly beat the bejesus out of you at work, what do you think it would be for? <clears throat> it's just a little bit
1: tougher since I just started a new job. Um, so, I'll base this more on, on uh, the people I used to work with. Um, I would catch shit sometimes for and this was the weirdest thing, uh, heating up breakfasts that smelled really, really good and making everybody hungry. And um so yeah, I think one one morning I would come in with just um I'd finally I I'd find the holy grail of breakfast smells and heat it up and make everyone so hungry that they uh they just disembowel me right out in the hallway.
2: So <laughs> like you find a perfect balance of like bacon, eggs, Peaky potatoes, pancakes, oh, hash there's browns. There's a there's a
1: there's a blueberry muffin in there. Sausage,
2: Ooh. yeah. There's a blueberry muffin. Uh, Just want find a tray of the perfect balance of the greatest breakfast of all time. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. that that's a classic. We've got an, um one of my coworkers who is one of the nicest ladies I've ever met in my life, but she has a habit of. Getting these frozen lunches, and I I keep forgetting to ask her where she gets them, but they smell incredible. Yeah. And I typically don't get to eat lunch until later in the afternoon, so she'll eat one of those about quarter to noon. And I'm sitting in my office going, God damn it. I'm going to eat this fucking stack of papers in front of me if I don't get some food in me soon, but I've still got another 45 minutes worth of shit to do.
0: So so here's here's what's going to happen for me. Um I consider this podcast to be work not in the sense that it's like it's like laborious but like I put research into it I put effort into it. I consider it kind of like almost like a part-time gig kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh and I make a lot of really shitty jokes mm-hmm. on this podcast. And I know what's going to happen. It might not be next week, it might not be in 10 weeks, but it's going to happen and I I'm, I'm calling the shot now is we're going to get to record one night and Cody's going to oh yeah, and Al, Alex couldn't make it. He, he's got this thing. It's just going to be a, a Jack, John, and Cody episode. And okay, and we're going to get through. And we're going to get about 10 minutes in, and then there'll be a knock at my door, and I'll, and I'll quickly get up, and it'll be Alex. Alex will be, surprisingly, here in Indianapolis. Uh, with my microphone still on, Alex is going to beat the shit out of me and then post the episode the next day. <laughs> for, the, for the watch.
1: <laughs> That's it, right, bitch. I'm John, like I'm, I'm John Snow in your
0: ass, bitch. He's gonna be like smashing my head on my desk and like you deserve this and be like I know and then and then Cody's just like narrating it in the background in his best call by call voice and then and then the episode gets posted and then I will have deserved it um, and it'll be our most successful episode of all time.
1: It would it yeah. would be the most listened to um, certainly. <laughs> well, uh, they'd have
2: to play it in court like five yeah, nine. right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh reasonable my God. Enough. Good answers. Good answers. I don't, I don't know what it would be for me for one thing. I'm like the biggest person that works in my office. So also I tend to like, cause my, I mean, my work takes me, like I am in my office for about three, four hours a day total. The rest of the time I'm, I'm out doing stuff. So I tend to not annoy people that badly just cause I'm not in the building that often. Yeah. So I don't know what it would be for me. I'm sure it would be something pun related.
0: I'm just imagining you, like, you're calling a game live and you, you see a call so incredulous that you get up and, like, get in a referee's face. You're an impartial, like, <laughs> spectator, but it's a call so bad that you get up and you fight a referee in public. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah I, I, I could see that happening, <laughs> actually.
1: Well, yeah. Um, All right. Great, great uh, retelling of one of the more infamous uh, events in American history.
2: And uh, actually, I think I, I maybe thought of a better one for for why I might get publicly beaten. I'd be filling in for my friend Kate on Lunch with the Legends, and in tribute to the passing of the great Meatloaf, I'd try and play the entire Bat Out of Hell album back to back. And by the fifth tempo change of the third song or so, someone would come in and just start whacking me with something yeah. to make me stop. Yeah. R.I.P. Meatloaf. Yeah. R.I.P. Meatloaf. Yes. Um,
0: and also, shout out to Weber Grill for the amazing meatloaf recipe.
1: Hi. Um, yeah, and as uh, as you mentioned, um, last story, very shameful moment for South Carolina in particular. They would not redeem themselves uh, until many years later in 2019 when uh, Dabo, Sweeney, and the boys uh, took down Alabama. So,
2: um,
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <clears throat> All right, so that brings me to me. And, um, <clears throat> man, I mean, I know that I've hyped up topics before but my guy this week may truly be the biggest gold mine yet that i've found
2: i was so damn mad when i heard you were doing this one this week because this guy has been on my list forever but as long as it gets covered
1: my guy uh lord timothy dexter um a highly eccentric businessman from er, uh, early days of america new england um, I'll preface this by saying that a few weeks ago when I talked about Giuseppe Zangara, um, I compared him to Scrappy-Doo. Lord Timothy Dexter is definitely a cartoon character. I think there are a few dynamics that work. Um, close to one, I can think, to, He's the real-life SpongeBob. Um, oh, God. And oh, no. I, I will add an addendum. He's, that doesn't mean he's great. He's He's definitely one <laughs> of these where... The way that, as you'll see, that he continues to fuck with and and brutally own the high society of New England to this point to be the SpongeBob to their Squidward, the, the Homer Simpson to their Frank Grimes, that all is really fun. He is a dick in some other respects, namely his personal life, but uh, we'll get to all this. But yeah, he I, I think he's the real-life SpongeBob of anything. I mean, how his business dealings play out it's going to remind you of a lot of different cartoon plots that you've seen. Um, who
2: was the Jack? Who was the Japanese inventor you covered really early? What was his oh, name? Oh,
0: um, fuck. I can't remember, but I know he, I can't remember. his name. I, I
2: feel like he was the real life inspector gadget. Yeah. If we're going to assign <laughs> cartoon <laughs> characters to inventors. I love that guy. Go, he go gadget cool. legs.
0: It's just regular legs.
2: <laughs> go, go gadget wig. That guy was
1: great. I need to go back and listen to that bit. Um, yeah. So, Lord Talk Timothy. Matsu, that's it. Thank you. Yes. Lord Timothy Dexter was born in Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1747 to a very ordinary family. Uh, he didn't come from money. He had very little in the way of schooling. Uh, in fact, he actually dropped out of school at the age of eight to go work on a farm. Um, After being expelled <clears throat> by, for threatening local police with <laughs> <Yeah>. firearms,
2: coincidentally <laughs> enough.
1: He. Uh, as a teenager, he worked as an apprentice for a local tanner. Um, he worked his way through that. Um, the defining characteristics of his whole life were that, one, he was a super weird dude. Two, he loves get-rich-quick schemes. Loves them. Um, arguably, depending on who you ask, historians kind of have some different interpretations on this. You could argue the first of which came in 1769. Uh, shortly before the American Revolution, when he marries a woman with the very sexy name of Elizabeth
0: Frothingham. (laughs) Fuck.
2: Oh, God. (laughs) Unpleasant. That's like...
0: I could have (laughs) gone the rest of my life without hearing that name.
2: That's like a name from a satirical novel set in Victorian... That's like something John Barth would have written about. That's a
0: James Bond name for an ugly woman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, this is my uh, my gorgeous uh, friend here, uh, Pussygood. And here is uh, her ugly sister, Frothingham.
2: <laughs> I mean, with that name, you can really only be a barista or a porno actress. <laughs> oh. So, y- you know, historians
1: differ a little bit on where exactly he was coming from with this. Um, you know, how much he really loved Liz I don't really know enough to sit here and suggest one way or the other about how truly in love he was with Liz. I'll point out a, uh, Liz background. She was a very wealthy widow who is 10 years older than him. And B, um, just for some context, uh, Lord Dexter, he never really gives up his womanizing party lifestyle after he gets married to her.
2: So, um, it's possible he still loved her and was just super disrespectful, I guess. Um, I mean, this was the the 18th century. You could kind of do that. Um, Liz, her background beyond that, she came from a very well-to-do
1: shipbuilding family. Um, One of them, in fact, named John Taylor Gilman, was actually one of the first governors of New Hampshire. So she's from this very well-to-do family. They very much did not approve of Lord Dexter. Uh, They saw this lower-class, poorly-educated goofball and felt that uh, he just wasn't good for Liz. A, which is a classist arrogant bit of judgment that unfortunately wound up being completely correct
2: um just for different yeah, reasons I mean, <laughs> yeah I, I mean looking at the guy's class status alone obviously that but i mean you see this guy bouncing in on one of those hoppity balls like yeah. the south park uh <laughs> episode
0: yeah <laughs> Hippity i, hop, I yeah. think it's
2: fine to be like this guy's a complete dork i'm Look. not gonna let you marry peewee herman
0: Look, I know that we don't necessarily like uh, Mrs. Frothingham, but don't call her a hoppity ball. <laughs> um, that was her first
2: name.
1: <laughs> so there are some historians who argue that he was like halfway normal at this point, and he didn't really fly off the handle until he like became truly rich, which comes a little bit later. Um, so arguably, though, you could say that marrying Liz was his first get-rich-quick scheme. Indisputably, though, if not that, his first real get-rich-quick scheme um, came at the end of the Revolutionary War. So the details of this scheme are a little bit fuzzy, but I'll sum it up best I can. Um, see, what's going on in, in Lord Dexter's life, despite marrying Rich, he wasn't himself living high on the hog just yet. Um, you know, the family didn't like him. They weren't going to just shovel money at them. Um, what he got essentially was to, to live in their nice house. Um, he set up shop in the basement of Liz's house he got to work making and selling various goods that he knew how to produce from his time as a tanner's apprentice. So, things like so he's about so he's about halfway
2: up the hog at this point.
1: He, he's there. I mean, he was making like moose hide pants, gloves, hides, selling blubber, shit like that. He he lived this in. He lived a pretty honest middle class lifestyle at this point. You know, he's a guy. He's, like he's just sp- like a hobby
0: builder at this point. He's not really like necessarily working to live, but he's yeah, he's enjoying his work he
1: he's living in this affluent area and he's making a living off of selling things to people who are richer than him and he's yeah. he makes a decent living just he's not like
0: he's, he's got a fucking well- Etsy store
1: yeah so very similar to that of that time yeah um and i think i think liz was also just selling some various sundries and things like that so they're doing okay um and over the years he does this and he manages to save up a few thousand dollars um, at which point he decides it's finally time to invest in something. Um, so that line of financial planning, even today, is really not unusual. I mean, it's, it's about as common of you know, a type of financial planning as you can find, but his choice of investment certainly was unusual. So Lord Dexter, he had no formal business education. He's just acting on pure kooky instinct at all times, <laughs> which shouldn't work. But the bigger context of what's going on around him is that before the U.S. gained its independence, everyone was using a form of money uh, that they called uh, continental currency. And then the different colonies would kind of have their own uh, colony-exclusive currencies as well. When the revolution starts, the value of the continental currency, as well as the colony currencies, were severely depreciated, as you might imagine. Um, So, you know, Lord Dexter sees this, and he thinks, hey, here's just this money and I can get it for less than what it's worth. I can just buy all this up for less than its face value and resell it later. That's a no-brainer. The obvious problem being that nobody was reasonably expecting the continental currency to ever be worth anything again, no matter
2: what happened with the war. Yeah, that's... I mean, you're, you're going to be a country now. You're going to have, <laughs> like, official currency. Right. So that's yeah. what everyone thought,
1: except Lord Dexter. So what happens? He buys up all this currency dirt cheap, as well as a bunch of the Massachusetts Bay uh, colonies currency that was in much the same situation. It was worth practically nothing at that point. The war ends. Um, The U.S. wins, obviously. Uh, The United States of America is established in earnest. And surprisingly, the government actually makes good on its previous currency as they transition to a new system. The new federal government buys back the the old continental currency at 1% face value. And even better... Massachusetts, now a state, buys back its previous colonial currency at fucking par, at face value. He just gets to trade it in. But even (laughs) even the continental currency, he bought it at so cheap that even trading it all back at 1%, he makes a fortune off of this plan. What a fucking legend. So he is now... He'd acquired so much of this stuff while well, everyone was laughing at him the whole time for basically nothing. Yeah, he turned it around. He made a ton of money. He he genuinely now is rich.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, with that money, he makes his next investment, which was uh, two ships made by Liz's family. He wants to become an international trader of goods. This is where shit really pops off.
2: <laughs> and so, yeah. I He's think that's the worst. Money. I think the worst thing that can happen to you as a guy who's getting into ri- get rich quick schemes is the first one works. Yeah, <laughs> because most of them don't. But now you've got a taste. It's like a gambler. It's like it's, it's a heroin high. The first time. Yeah, it's it's like hitting big the first time you play uh, blackjack or roulette or something like that. You're going to be chasing that for the rest of your life, and it's usually not going to go that
1: well. Oh no. Well, especially when it's a guy like Lord Dexter who you know this really wasn't an educated guess it was just a guess he was just acting on yeah. a weird instinct and it worked so
0: he's in a he was like precarious if, spot he was like if i buy more money i have more money fuck i'm rich and then it actually works so because lord
1: dexter's masterstroke it, it did not earn him at, it did not at all earn him the respect of the new new england business community i mean they still are looking down on this guy uh, as someone who just got lucky once but otherwise is a total putz You know, they saw him as an uneducated yokel who got really lucky once, the exact type of guy that stuffy New England businessmen hate the most. Um, (laughs) They want to... They don't just look down on him. They want him gone. They want to bankrupt him ASAP. And they are just conniving enough to try and do it. And they figure... And, I mean, they have good reason to think this. That he's dumb enough that they can talk him into doing just about anything and that that would take care of it. They wind up being partially right. Um... He is dumb enough that they can talk him into just about anything, but they're wrong about what effect that it has. So the first thing that happens (laughs) is that Lord Dexter's rivals advise him to acquire a bunch of these bed warmers that they had around in New England and ship them off uh, to resell in the West Indies, or as we know them today, the Caribbean. So, you know, Cuba, Dominican Republic, (laughs) Puerto Rico, places that decidedly do not need bed warmers. It is quite warm enough. (laughs) Lord Dexter, though, he doesn't know shit about shit. So he says, hell, that sounds like a good idea. And he does it. So something of note about these bed warmers, and I wasn't able to find exactly what they look like, but apparently a quality of them just based on their shape and design, you can just kind of like flip them around and you could use them as a really big ladle. And why that's so important for this is that the West Indies at this point was where a lot of molasses was produced. So Lord Dexter's crew arrives in the West Indies. The molasses makers are like, hey, those are really big ladles. We could really use these. They buy all of them. Lord Dexter has now turned another big profit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Imagine being that group of society douchebags after that happens. (laughs) Like, there is literally steam coming out of
0: their ears at this point. It's the fucking Bugs Bunny sketch where the dude's playing him in poker for all the gold coins. He's like, I don't know if I've got any good numbers. I got a pair of ones and another pair of ones. Do I win? (laughs) Now, we are only those scratching the surface
1: of this. His next step, he's so encouraged by his success with this, um, he decides to follow whatever strange Lord Dexter logic exists in his head, and he ships off a bunch of wool mittens to the West Indies this time. So the locals, they don't have any use for them, but a crew of Asian merchants just happened to be in town. They see the mittens. They say, hey, we have trade routes in Siberia. We could buy these from you and take them up there to resell on our way. So they do, and again, Lord Dexter has made a big profit. At this point, the business community in New England is just dumbfounded by this man. (laughs) They're doing the Jesse Pinkman, he can't keep getting away with it thing.
2: He's like fucking... Oh my god. He's like the stupid King Midas... (laughs) <laughs> They're like, we just can't.
0: It's, we can't with this guy. He's Sideshow Bob, but instead of stepping on rakes, he's just stepping into millions of <laughs> dollars. So they decide to really turn up the
1: heat and trying to fuck with him. Um, and so they they say to Lord Dexter, Well, Lord Dexter, you, you think you're quite the good businessman, eh? Perhaps you should just ship coal to Newcastle. <laughs> and to the two of you, And to, I assume, everybody listening, that phrase means absolutely nothing. Um, But what shipping coal to Newcastle means, around this time, it was a pretty well-known British idiom just meaning to describe a pointless action. The history behind it is that Newcastle is an area of England um, where a lot of the coal is mined. It's a big mining area. Um, They dig up a lot of the coal and ship it to the rest of the UK to trade, Um, meaning that that is a place where there's always going to be an ample supply of coal. And so for a merchant to ship coal up to Newcastle is pointless because they already have it. You're not going to accomplish yeah.
0: anything. It's an idiom, basically, like uh, yes. selling snow to a ski, a ski slope. Like, it's yeah. like, yeah, no, you don't need to do that because they already have it. Yeah, very much. it's an old British idiom. Um,
1: so they say this to Lord Dexter just to fuck with him, but he doesn't know anything. So he goes, ah, that sounds like a good idea to me. And so he loads up a ship full of coal. Well, he sends it over to the UK to Newcastle. When the coal arrives, it just so happens that miners are on strike in Newcastle. Oh, Me- damn it! Meaning that this was one of the only times ever that there was a low supply of coal in Newcastle. So locals, they bought all of it at like a higher markup. He turns a huge profit. <laughs> he has done something oh, that there is an idiom for being impossible. <laughs> oh fuck the, the practical jokers the next thing that they do is apparently not learning from the mittens thing they, they they give them a similar plan they then tell lord dexter to send gloves this time all the way across the world to another tropical area the south sea islands which now it's like samoa tonga fiji another very very warm tropical region where you know they just don't need warm gloves
0: Similar to the mittens before. They'd be
2: like, oh, my tiny cow's udders are getting cold, so
0: (laughs) these are perfect. Oh no, this historic once-in-a-century snowstorm. If only we ever had gloves. Oh, fuck. Um, We just got a
2: shipment of big coats and pants, but our hands are (laughs) freezing.
1: So similar to what happened with the mittens before, um, the shipment arrives in the South Sea Islands um, at the same time that uh, some Portuguese traders were stopping by en route to China. They're like, hey, we'll take those off your hands. Why not? And so he turns another prophet.
0: Oh, my
1: God. So I think the jokesters just give up eventually. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but by this point, Lord Dexter, he's developing a bit of a complex where he thinks that he can do no wrong. And honestly, why wouldn't he? What evidence is there to say. the contrary? <laughs> yeah. So what... His strategy is that he eventually just starts loading up whatever shit was just lying around and shipping it off to sell someplace. <laughs> uh, first, he sees like, "What's there a bunch of around? There's all there's all these Bibles. I'll load them up and I'll ship them off to the East Indies, which is um, like Indonesia and the Philippines. Decidedly not a Christian region at that time, but it just so happened to coincide with a bunch of Christian missionaries <laughs> arriving there. Like, well, we can you know we can use all the Bibles we can get a hold of. They buy it off of them. Turns another profit." Um, oh, dear <laughs> he
2: had somehow he shipped he shipped a load of tumbleweeds to Arizona <laughs> and suddenly um, suddenly people uh, started lining their beds with tumbleweed. It made a very <laughs> a very soft mattress interior. He had and I,
1: I could not find any more clarification on what this meant and I would love to know, but he says he somehow accidentally acquired a bunch of whale bones. I don't know if he thought he was getting something else and just got a bunch of whale bones, (laughs) but he just had this big store, this this big stock of whale bones sitting around that he got from someplace. Uh, Honestly, cigars, you
0: idiot. (laughs) He seems like the kind of guy who, like, he would just, like, open up his door and be like, hey, there's, like, four whales here now. Cool. (laughs) I guess I have whales now. Like, he seems like the kind of guy that would just accidentally acquire whales.
1: So he gets all these whale bones. Um,. But right around this time is when the French fashion trend for ladies of tight corsets and um, uh, big skirts reached America, which whale bones are actually very useful for making. And so he didn't even have to fucking leave the house really for that one. He turned a big profit on those. The final of these that I could find, this is my absolute favorite. and just goes to show that he can make anything work. So again, he's in this mode where he's just looking around for shit that's just that's just plentiful, and he can get to ship off. And he looks around, and and being the the strange man that he is, he thinks there's an awful lot of stray cats roaming around. Oh no!
0: I know, Charlie Kelly. <laughs> he
1: he rounds up all the stray cats in the area, sticks them on a ship, and they take them to the uh, to his old friends in the West Indies. And I just can't imagine what these people think by this point. <laughs> They're like, oh no, this is another one of Dexter's ships. He always brings us the weirdest shit, and yet we somehow always need it, and we wind up buying it off of him. This time, we're putting our foot down. We're not buying anything from him, okay? Whatever he has. Aww. <laughs> and so he rolls up in this ship full of cats, and they look around and they say, You know, you fuckers keep showing up here from all these different countries with your ships. You're giving us a pretty bad rap problem. So you know what? Yeah, we'll buy your cats. He sells all the cats. (laughs) He makes another (laughs) profit because the cats were free. I hope he came back
0: a year later with dogs and just, like, (laughs) evolutionary cycled through all of the animals he could get.
2: I feel like his life was just an endless cycle of him reaching down, grabbing whatever was next to him, sticking it out the window, somebody passing by grabs it and puts 500 bucks in his hand. (laughs) Like, that's the, the real work equivalent of what he's doing. Like, he's just offering whatever happens to be around to somebody who always just happens to need exactly that thing.
0: You He's like that
2: that old episode of The Twilight Zone with the guy who sells the odds and ends but always knows exactly what everyone needs. Yeah.
0: You called him Spongebob, and all I can think of is the episode... Where they have the magic conch and they're stranded. Absolutely. They're like, if absolutely. only we had like a campground and some food, and then a plane is literally dropping a load of like camp supplies and food right above them at the exact same fucking time. That's all I can picture, and it's absolutely fucking accurate. That that is one hundred percent the episode I thought of. Um, also, yes. an old
1: Bugs Bunny cartoon where he, um, the one where he's at the saloon.
0: And yes. He's playing poker, and no matter what you know, he does, that's, he keeps the winning. The ones and another ones. That's yeah. Exa- yeah, yeah. Those two have been in my head the whole fucking time. He
2: puts the puts the coin in the phone, and it spits out a bunch of gold. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hello, hello you want to pick me up?
2: <laughs> so Lord
1: Dexter, he is just swimming in money now. He's fucking Scrooge McDucking it up. Um, despite his success, though, high society continued to snub him, which is the only really sad part of this. Is like he. His deal is more that he is just dumb. And I, it seems like he really did want to be accepted by high society, but he didn't get it. He's not one of them. They're never going to accept him yeah. as one of theirs, no matter. It's not about his accomplishments, it's a status yeah. thing.
0: He's, um, he's new money. Yeah. He's dumb new money.
1: <laughs> so he, uh, you know, there is a brief interlude where um, they leave Massachusetts, um, they move up to Chester, New Hampshire for a bit his way of trying to make friends up there was he would just reward people for referring to him as the Earl of Chester. Like, if kids would walk by and and call him the Earl of Chester, he'd, like, give them coins. If adults would, he'd be like, oh, thank you very much. Uh, How would you like to go for lunch? And we'd just buy him lunch and shit and get him drunk. Um, So, the reason he had to leave... i hang
2: out with this guy. Yeah.
1: Well, let's get back to the dick thing a little bit. Because the reason he had to leave Chester (laughs) is because uh, apparently he fucked some prominent lawyer's wife and the lawyer found out and like just hunted him down and beat the dog piss out of him. So then they're like, well, perhaps Massachusetts doesn't sound so bad after all. And so his next move, um, was to buy this big estate in Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is exactly the sort of place that it sounds like. Um, he adorned the property with these big extravagant towers and structures and filled this big garden area with 40 wooden statues of famous men throughout history. And one of himself as well, of course. Oh, yeah. um, so there are in my estimation three reasons why he may have, have done this move other than being a total crackpot one I mean he is emulate try, emulating what he thinks high society is like either out of spite or for you know another desperate ploy for acceptance um, two he had just also bought an adjacent toll road and he figured that the scenery would attract more travelers which is you know decent guess one of the only sure. sound moves he's ever made I don't know if it worked or not <laughs> Yeah. Um, and three, not only does this kind of uh, scenery at this big estate attract people in general, you know what else it attracts? Hot chicks. Yeah. <laughs> and again, he is womanizing and drinking throughout this entire story. I think some have said <laughs> that, like, all of his business deals he did in the morning on a hangover. And he didn't do business in the afternoon because he was drunk by the afternoon.
2: <laughs> um, but perhaps- Again, if I could ever manage that schedule... Just, I'll take it any day of the week.
1: <laughs> so, with that being said, perhaps unsurprisingly, you know, despite being a wildly successful businessman, his family life becomes really, really strained. Um, at the Newburyport Estate, when visitors would stop by, he would frequently tell them that Liz had died, despite the fact that not only was she still alive, she lived there in the house and so would sometimes just go walking by. <laughs> and when, when people would ask, like, wait, isn't that your wife? Didn't you just say she died? He'd say that it was just her ghost.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Maybe, Um, like, she got tired of his shit one time and was like, yeah, Tim, I'm dead. This is my ghost. Leave me alone. uh, He was just dumb and drunk enough that he believed it.
0: I told you I want clothes. Quit buying me tattered rags and chains. I swear to God, I'm not fucking the ghost of Christmas past. Quit doing this to me. (laughs) So his wife
1: hates him. The community hates him. He's drunk all the time. His mental health's starting (laughs) to suffer a bit. So presumably one day, Lord Dexter sits down He has an honest conversation with himself. He says, you know, Tim, you've accomplished so much. You've done just about everything that a complete nut with too much money does. That means there's only one thing left. That's right, Tim. It's time to fake your own death. But to be clear, though, he wasn't doing this to escape life or to actually get away. He just wanted to see how people would react.
2: (laughs) And so... so there is a story. um, I I don't know if it predates this incident or not, but if it doesn't, I bet this was an inspiration. There is a short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne called Wakefield was made into a movie a couple years ago. A pretty solid movie about a lawyer who fakes his own death, basically just to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a fascinating story. I kind of wonder if this is, this is kind of a similar thing.
1: Well, His specific strategy, um, first of all, he bribes his family to go along with it, um, and then he organizes a mock wake at his estate, which 3,000 people estimated showed up, so apparently he he knew enough people that they showed up at his wake. So, I've been talking about Lord Dexter for a while now. I want to give you both a guess at how this charade ended.
2: How was the jig up? He popped out of his coffin and did a song and dance number.
0: Yes. Jack, I'm what's imagining. Your, what's your guess? I was, I was going to say he does the Futurama where Bender does a pretend funeral. And when people are mourning, he just gets up and goes, louder and sadder. <laughs> that
1: second one is fairly close to the truth.
0: But it's, <laughs>
1: it, it's, a, lot, it's a lot more of a bummer than that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's a lot, uh, it, it is darker than that. Um, oh no! the jig was up when Lord uh, Dexter in the middle of his wake he peeks over and he notices that Liz isn't crying <laughs> Aww. and so he jumps up from his resting place you know what he does he fucking goes full Preston Brooks he hits her with a cane for not being convincing enough
0: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> fucking psycho yeah I was on his side until this moment
1: yeah, this is what I'm saying. He is a dick in some respects. The way he fucks with stuffy New England business people is great. B- terrible husband. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Husband.
2: I think you can I think you might be able to chalk this one up to him being nuts at this point. Yeah, I mean, he might like, be
0: completely insane by now. I'm also just imagining him just like hitting a flask in like the uh, <laughs> in the in the coffin like, "Oh, nobody saw that. I can get some more Birdman in real quick." I think he's just f- hammered at his own fucking wake. I think the funniest twist would have been if it was like
2: Let's nobody go anywhere.
1: I think the funniest bit would have been if uh, it ended like uh, um, on "It's Always Sunny." Mac and Charlie die part two, where they knew, like, they knew they were faking the entire time, but like, they honestly, just let it go because they wanted to keep him away for a little while.
0: Honestly, I was expecting you to say like, he just like ripped ass, and everyone just like looked at the coffin, and he was just like, "It wasn't me. I'm just <laughs> decomposing." It's so natural to this to do
1: after this fake, completely uh, contrived. Uh, brush with death at around at the end of the 18th century lord dexter you know he's getting older you can tell his life was starting to wind down and um you know as a lot of accomplished people do towards the end of their lives he becomes concerned about his legacy so the first thing he does in 1797 at the age of 50 lord dexter writes his first and only book entitled a pickle for the knowing ones (laughs) um what a pickle for the knowing ones is is essentially a manifesto complaining about everything and everyone from politicians to the clergy to his own wife. Um most puzzlingly the book contains 8847 words, 33864 letters, zero punctuation. Also oh, many God. words were just randomly capitalized or misspelled and it's hard to know So he's he, he's kind of Charlie Kelly in this. It's hard to know how much of this is because he is yeah. illiterate. So it's hard to know how much of it is that and how much of it is style. He stopped school at eight, right? Yes.
2: Yeah, they must have not gotten to punctuation. Yeah, he was, he's like James Joyce on steroids, basically. Like, this takes stream of consciousness to a complete different I
1: I kind of want to, like, find out if this book is in a library somewhere. I don't want to pay for it, because it seems like it's totally unreadable. Um,
2: (laughs) I bet you can find a PDF of it
0: somewhere.
1: So he published um, the first edition in 1802, and because this is still Lord Dex we're talking about, it was actually pretty popular. He reprinted it eight times. Um, He also released a second edition in 1805, and in response to the complaints about the lack of punctuation, uh, he added an extra page at the end with 11 lines of just punctuation marks, with a note included to the printers uh, that readers may, quote, pepper and salt it as they please. Fucking, fucking crack oh. crackpot. Um he also God he goddamn he uh um I'll mention before I go into this for my one of my big sources, uh there's an article about him from the New England Historical Society. I meant to mention this up top. Uh very much appreciate that article. because um, I'm about to uh, uh, quote from them specifically. Um He also he hired this guy named Jonathan Plummer who the New England Historical Society describes as a, quote, fishmonger and purveyor of pornography. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's really into fish and porn, and sometimes both happen.
2: Was that a, a common side gig? You know, like there were barber surgeons, were they just fishmongers slash porn mongers? Well, that, that actually, neither of those were his side gig. His
1: side gig was that he was also apparently an amateur poet. And so Lord Dexter hires him to write some poems extolling his greatness,
2: and oh, I would like. So uh, I don't want. I don't want to read this guy's poetry because I. Oh, don't that's want too to know bad. What, because I'm going to read one. <laughs> I don't want to know what's rattling around in his brain after spending all day surrounded by fish and porn. No, hold on, hold I don't on. Want to know I, what that brings out of you.
0: I want to hear what the fish fucker has to say about our dear good friend.
2: Well, if you wonder what
1: kind of brilliant poetry that a fishmonger slash pornographer um, from 1805 can get you. Um, I'm going to read um, one of his, one of his short poems about Lord Dexter. And it goes like this. Lord Dexter is a man of fame. Most celebrated is his name. More precious far than gold that's pure. Lord Dexter shine forevermore. And that's it. So he is <laughs> great stuff. Uh, No, it fucking blows. It's not good at all.
2: Yeah, that's like not quite as bad as the the BTK killer's poetry, but I mean, <laughs> it's not much better either.
1: Um, so Lord Dexter he dies not long after this in 1806. Um, his obituary. For real,
2: this. Time?
1: <laughs> yeah, for real. Did anybody show up to the funeral? I
0: guess we think this they was real. This
2: fucking shit again. Are we gonna do this every five years now?
0: Look, look, I'm, I'm busy. It's a Thursday. I'll go to the next one. Um, the obituary that was published,
1: I'm sure, would have been much to his chagrin, focused a lot less on his greatness and a lot more on how goddamn dumb he was. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll quote from it directly. His obituary considered, quote, his intellectual endowments not being of the most exalted stamp, which in uh, 1806 is fucking just brutally owned. That uh, is... Well,
2: you know... If I were him, like, my rebuttal to all this would be, if I were one of his friends, I'd be like, you know what? He took every attempt you guys made to dunk on him and made more money, meanwhile, pissing you off. So, who's really stupid here? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think it's the guy with the money. I think it's the guy whose plan backfired every time.
0: He's the guy who, like, when you're playing Fallout, you turn idiot savant on and luck to ten, and you just magically like go through an RPG game, yeah. like that.
1: So, as for what became of his estate, all of his wooden statues were destroyed by storms, but the house, <laughs> uh, the house, still stands today. It operated as a hotel for a while, and now it's kept up as a historical landmark. And I will just say this. If the three of us just ever happen to be in rural coastal Massachusetts, we are going. We're oh, going to pregame oh, yeah, it. Sure. We're going we're gonna to get drunk off a bunch of Sam Adams and eat a bunch of lobster. And whatever happens, happens. But we're going. Yeah. So I feel like yeah.
2: what we have yeah, to do totally down for that.
0: is we have to get drunk and all invest money in clear Ponzi schemes. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to see which one of us makes it out slightly better than the others.
2: Jack is somehow the only guy who ever really got rich and... In- by joining a multi-level marketing scheme like,
0: yeah. i'm just fucking selling other people's lotion at a markup fucking price and you guys are getting wrapped up underneath me
1: <laughs> well it's either going to be that or suicide by cop so um so that is the wild wild uh story of lord timothy dexter um what truly one of the great freaks that i think we'll ever cover on here um Oh inexplicable, God. and uh, I'll, I'll stick by what I said. I, I think a few weeks ago, Giuseppe Zangara, I likened him to Scrappy Doo. There's a few cartoon characters that fit for for Lord Dexter. I think SpongeBob is is probably the closest one. Um, other other other, so hard. other than the whole hitting his wife with a cane thing, that was yeah. real cool. Yeah. But
0: SpongeBob had a dark time.
1: So, what, with that being said, since it's becoming a little bit of a running theme on the show. Um, my big question for the two of you is, which cartoon character do you think most that you most identify with?
2: So, as hard as it is for me to admit this, because you know this is a tough thing to realize about oneself, but I'm big, I'm furry, I make really stupid puns that annoy everybody all the time. I am fucking McGilla Gorilla. <laughs> If it makes you feel any better for
1: oh. you, I was gonna
2: guess Yogi Bear.
0: I thought you were going Yogi Bear as well there. <laughs> yeah, well. We do look it alike. Would, it wouldn't be the first I time you've equated yourself actually, to a bear.
2: Yeah, I actually look more like
0: Fred Flintstone, I think, yeah. than any other cartoon character, but I think I, I kind of agree with you. I'm I'm kinda of dumb. I kind of like kind of just happen into weird situations. Uh my friends are more interesting than me. I think I'm Philip J. Fry. That's Schaefer. an interesting one.
1: I could also see that's, you as being. Story, I could yeah. see you as being
0: Ren or Stimpy. Also,
2: yeah, yeah really, either one.
0: I uh, I am uh, dog attached to cat. Dog. Uh, Laura is just sick of my shit, <laughs> but I'm just too dumb to realize it. That's what you should do I mean, once it's also... over.
1: That you should go in. You should go up to Laura and say, "Baby, have I ever told you that you're that uh, uh, the two of us uh, remind me of Cat Dog."
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll see how that plays. I'll comp your so hotel. So I could also
2: <laughs> another yeah for a, for a night yeah for um, for you another one just between the amount of food that you eat and your general build I could see you as Shaggy from yeah. Scooby Doo.
0: <laughs> I, I I could definitely see a good Shaggy. Um, I really want to take a big sack of bread, big sack of meat. Holding like a deck of cards. No, oh, come on, Scoob. Make a big sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it, it makes sense because I think I quoted that to Alex and you at least a hundred times in our friendship. That oh, that yeah. line making fun of Shaggy, <laughs> and I don't even remember what fucking weird generic cartoon. I'm gonna rip fucking off. do
2: it, Shaggy. <laughs> it, it was, that was, it was just a weird. Uh, it's okay. called Come on, Scoob. Yeah. It's just yeah. some
1: weird you like animated thing on YouTube that my uh my my best friend from back home Logan showed me one time. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. If, if you get we we'll have to try and put that up on on Twitter or something or link to that because
1: yeah. hey, you guys
2: need to see this to understand why this is such an enduring part of, <laughs> of our friendship. Yeah, one of
1: the <laughs> most I'm gonna I'm gonna the do shaggy. Shaggy. one of the most inexplicable videos ever created. So, Back when YouTube
0: was no just sense. like all randomness and there was no theme or plot to anything, it was just random it was like the bullshit. George,
2: the George Washington song video, I remember, yes. oh, yeah. it was kind of. That, yeah. That, style of humor. that
0: era of just like random weird shit for the sake of being random weird shit, but it worked.
2: It was like adult swim before adult swim really took off. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, uh yeah, good good answers for the for the both of you. Um actually Jack, are you wearing a Brad Neely shirt right now? Is that what that
0: is? Oh no, this is Sammy Zayn.
1: Oh, I see. The the top oh, two okay. the top two or the the art style looks a bit little bit like Brad Neely, so um, anyway. If uh, any of the listeners out there have any ideas, by the way, of which cartoon characters we may resemble, feel free to let us know. Um, and so with that being said, oh, boy. we wind down a uh, a great episode. I think uh, we came back from the break fresh and ready to go. Three great freaks of different varieties that we brought <laughs> to you this evening. So um, thanks to you all for joining us. Thank you for being patient as uh, we took a much needed week off last week. Um and uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be back again next week, and who knows what'll be in store. Um, so for now, let's go around the horn and uh, let's hawk our bullshit.
2: Uh, Cody, where can the people find you? Well, besides weekly here on uh, here's a guy you can find me on Twitter. I am at Son of Gravy for uh, 2069. Also on two episodes of BelchCast, which has a new episode out that you should definitely
0: listen to. That's right. How about you, Jack? Oh yeah, you can find me on the aforementioned Belchcast. We have a brand new episode dropping this Sunday, whenever this episode comes out. So in a couple days, we'll have season two, episode one coming out. Super excited! You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv/jackjohnplaysgames. I'm doing a big wrestling stream uh, with a great friend uh, this Friday. We're gonna be getting hammered and commentating on cartoon wrestling, something that Alex and I used to do. Oh hell yeah! Uh, we're bringing it back. <laughs>
1: And yeah, trust me. However dumb you think it is, it's dumber. You should absolutely watch it.
0: It's a great. Topic. I got, I got WWE 2K20, the one that's even more broken and stupid. Oh, that game is, I've so shit. It's so shit about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's
1: it's it's heinous how bad it is. <laughs> um, I'm surprised they even. I'm surprised that, that <gasps> WWE has not just buried it entirely. So for various reasons, um, yeah, this episode. Uh, uh, yeah, this episode is going to drop before that, so make sure to check that out. Um, as for me, um, I've also been on i have been on three episodes of BelchCast, so uh, strongly recommend that as well. Um, I'll recommend Jack's stream as well. Um, I don't pop in—I'll occasionally pop in um, on stream, but I'm also often in the uh, comment section, so um, in the chat. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at turpin 4 prez That's Turpin the number four, P-R-E-Z. Um, the podcast itself, we have our own Twitter account. It's here's a guy pod, right? That's what it is. I think, um, yep. Uh, here's a guy pod, follow us on there, DM us, uh, whatever. And, uh, we also have a mailbox. It's here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Um, people have sent us such great stuff in the past. Um, so suggestions, comments, feedback, we like it enough. We'll read it on the show. Um, our scruples are not that high either. If you've noticed. So, um yeah thanks everybody for joining us once again um look forward to having you back with us next week um yeah we've had a couple of weeks off cody do you have a tagline worked up for us i do all right well uh with that being said thank you all once again have a great rest of your weeks
2: and cody hit us with the tagline just because your co-workers or wife piss you off it doesn't make it okay to hit them with a great big stick
1: a great lesson Bye, for, great lesson for us all good night everybody